Hey, thanks for turning on the Uncommon People podcast. I like to say that this is a show for you and me and everyone in between. This is a show about everyday people, their stories, experiences, and perspective. I count it a privilege and a joy to get to sit down and have conversations with people and learn from them and learn about them. So I hope you enjoy listening to that kind of conversation. If you'd be interested in having one, maybe, you can reach out to me at my website, joeltimothy.co. There's contact info up there so you can get in touch. In the meanwhile, this is episode 22 of the show. I'm sitting down with Raul Flores and talking about his life, um, travel experiences, and some watches, and luxury, and overcoming fear, and all sorts of different things. This was a really fun conversation, and I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed having it. So here it is, without further ado, episode 22. put an automatic movement in it and then don't include a open case back if you're going to put that beautiful machine inside you should let let people see it you know it's on your wrist obviously you don't usually you're not usually looking at it but yeah. to be able to see it is just it's lovely it's it, why i want one i want an automatic because of the history uh-huh. and the the elegance of it and sure. that you can see the watch sure. you can see its heart and how it's working sure. and this is a quartz watch um which is totally fine like it's it's very accurate um, I like that this is a fully USA-made watch. They even engineered the movement for this, and that's cool. That is cool. But I would like to have an automatic. Well, at what some I discovered, what I was thinking of is, uh, <clears throat> let's say you are uh, an explorer or you are on a mission when you're out on the field. You know, if your battery dies, um, you're out of luck. That's it for mm-hmm. sure. And so the uh, idea with an automatic movement where the, where the case back is fully enclosed and it's not exposed, it's not visible, is to ensure 100% waterproofing, and that is to ensure robustness within uh, this um, very sensitive movement, right? You're trying to protect it as much as possible. And so Rolex were some, debatably, arguably, some of the pioneers of this kind of technology where you have a very robust um, movement encased in a very robust package mm-hmm. and the way they advertised actually some the way they started gaining popularity is by selling their watches inside jars of water they had them on display outside the jewelry stores hmm. outside the stores this this was back in the 20s right um, after the war once things settled you know and people had money again um, they started selling their watches inside jars of water to show, hey, look, our movement is still going. They're inside water, but it's not getting in them. 
Back in the day, people had pocket watches, very expensive, very sensitive devices. You had to carry them in your chest because your wrist, too much exposure, you could bang it on things. The pocket watches were much more sensitive. Uh, but lo and behold, new technology. It goes on your wrist. You can look at it anytime, very convenient, mm -hmm. and it's robust. It's not going to get damaged or hurt. First person to um, climb Everest, um, they both were wearing Rolex Explorers. Uh, Emilia Arnhardt, who flew across the Atlantic, uh, first person to do that, I think. Uh, she was also wearing a Rolex. Um, there was one more major explorer um, person who was also wearing a Rolex. And all these events were major milestones. There was no internet back in the day. There was no overload of information. So when someone made a very a, a big achievement, they uh, this made big news. People saw it on, on newspapers and magazines everywhere. And that's what people had to discuss back then. Naturally, people would ask, were they wearing a Rolex? You know, what mm -hmm. tools did they use? And when the name Rolex came up, um, that's how Rolex built up its reputation from being just a, a tool watch to being the best tool watch. But then <clears throat> in the 50s, that's when the brand shifted from being uh, a tool watch company to being a luxury watch company. And it has kept that momentum going ever since. Hmm. Yeah, that... I, I was reading about Rolex yesterday. Yeah, okay. And I have so much respect for that, for their legacy, sure. and that they were allegedly, at least in some instances, the first to do a lot of things. Sure. They, they were what you just mentioned, those, those stories there. That's incredible. To be able to say that person who just climbed the tallest mountain on the planet, the first person, you know what they were wearing? They were wearing one of our watches. Sure. That's an achievement. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the way that they look today, mm -hmm. I'm not into them. Sure. I'm not into the style. Sure. The, yeah. the, some I of them, are, they're okay. They're very uh, noticeable. Mm -hmm. They're very noticeable. And that's they want them absolutely to be on purpose, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. But it's not um, currently anyway. I'm mm -hmm. not going to say it will never be, but currently it is not my style. Sure. And I don't know why I went into like explaining the whole story of them. I don't know. I guess that's for our viewers. You know, if I sound a little scattered brain, I love telling stories. Mm. It's not even viewers, our listeners, to the people listening in uh, all across the globe, um, reporting live from Springdale, Arkansas, to your ears all around the globe. Um, because I'm sure I have friends in Europe who will be listening to this. Oh yeah, yes. then uh, you need which, to. You probably more than anyone else have friends all over the world, which is exciting. You know, yeah. praise God. I yeah. am really thankful for that. Um, but before we start talking about other things, yeah, um, you asked. Oh, the robustness of the movement of watches. Um, yeah, it it's because they want to maintain the robustness of the watch that they close the back and okay. that, that they don't let you see the movement just because they want to maintain that robustness. Um, wow, man, it took me like 10 minutes to answer yeah. that question. Um, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, though, I've seen a number of robust watches with an, with, with an expedition, exhibition case back. Okay. Um, 
because Rolex does it too. They they manufacture. I mm-hmm. think um, mm-hmm. most of theirs, at least with an exhibition case back available. No, I don't think so. No, I think all Rolexes have a close back. They might expose the front of them. A few of them. There is one watchmaker from Geneva called uh, I think Geneva Watchmakers. I think something <laughs> like that. They take existing models from multiple all other watchmakers and then they customize them. Either skeletonize them, they, um, yeah, they just change them and they make them look gorgeous because they skeletonize them, which means mm-hmm. um, they expose everything in there and it, or they change the color, um, they they change the finish of the of the of the tool watch, etc. And so it is a very cool thing. But to my knowledge, those guys are the only ones who have made a Rolex with exposed um, really. Okay. Uh-huh. Oh, maybe I'm remembering wrong. I must be remembering. There wrong. are other watch yeah. brands that do. Does that. Omega? Are there dive divers typically? Same. Yeah. Same. All close very case. Closed, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Huh. Maybe I'm just thinking of Vera because all of their all of their automatic movement watches have a exhibition a, case back. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. And it is sapphire crystal, just like the front face, sure, and sure. maybe uh-huh. there's they have done a lot of work to ensure they can maintain the sort of durability they sure. expect with that mm-hmm. um yeah i just i do think it's beautiful it is beautiful and i, I also okay. think that you're unlikely to put the watch to the extreme to the point where you would actually <laughs> sure. cause damage in that way sure um somebody every time i mention it around somebody mentions the depth rating of a watch say 200 meters which is pretty typical for a diver if not more many divers are more um that it doesn't matter because when the human body gets to that kind of pressure you're going to explode anyways sure yeah yeah so the watch isn't really an issue but it's more i suppose the over assurance of durability correct just like if um if your, your pickup truck is rated to carry 2,000 pounds, you're not going to get to 2,001 and it's going to break down. <laughs> they're they're going to, you know, engineer a safety net sure. around that number, I would assume. Sure. Yeah. Watches, though, man. Dude. Watches. We'll come back to them. We can talk about them all day long. Yeah. 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 But anything else? Um, yeah. Yeah. So I was um, a little bit nervous about coming here because right. I know that I can ramble on. Like we talked about this the other day when, when we met at the coffee shop. Uh, Joel and I really enjoy getting coffee, right? Right. Oh, yeah. I don't know why I'm talking as if there was someone else in the room, which is great. I, I, guess I do that, too. I like I talk interacting. To the, I do talk to the audience. Yeah, I like interacting with the audience. It, yeah. It's a ton of fun, for uh-huh. sure. Um, I like involving others. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, I like to tell stories to just about everything. I, I think I need somebody to lead the conversation, which you do a great job at it. But once you ask me a question, like I think of so many ways to answer it. Okay. <laughs> I definitely don't take the short route, uh-huh. uh, which is kind of annoying sometimes. Because I, I'm like, wow. I like it. <laughs> some people do. Yeah. But then some other people are like, man, just is it yes or no or which way? <laughs> yeah, I'm not that person. I'm the person who might take your order at a coffee shop. And I'm in the middle of a transaction and genuinely want you to tell me how your day is going. Sure. Even if it's really bad. Sure. Um, 
I love that. The opportunity to spur on a real conversation or a real interaction yeah. rather than just the typical, um, how are you? Good. How are you? Good. All right. Thank you. I'm going to wait for my cappuccino over here. <laughs> yeah. yeah I enjoy of, that. That is kind of boring. But we'll we'll back up and give a little direction and studying point. Right. We'll talk a little bit about you growing up. So you have two yes. younger sisters. You two said. younger sisters. Okay. And you were all born in California, yes. but moved yes. pretty young. Yes. And was it, you moved from California to Mexico or you moved yes. somewhere first? Nope. From California to okay. Mexico. We moved to the state of Michoacan. So it's cool. <clears throat> I'll tell you the whole story, the way okay. that I normally yeah. tell it when somebody has ears to listen. Um, my dad used to be a pro soccer player in Mexico. This was either mm. early 80s, uh, late 70s, one of those. Um, you won't find him on YouTube or on Google, right? Like he, he was good, but you know, only good enough to be professional, which is great in Mexico. That's a very good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, life was not good. You know, being at the top of a sport is not everything. And he realized that. And so he moved to the U.S. or rather left Mexico. It's a better way of putting it. And, uh, you know, was just in California trying to find a better life. And nothing was working. And so he came to Jesus and he said, I need you to help me. Um, He found the church and uh, thought that the youth director was beautiful. A couple of years later, married her. Next thing you know, we're missionaries in Mexico, you know. Um, he married my mom yes Um, and uh, yeah we went to Mexico as missionaries um, in the state of Michoacan we went to this tiny town I don't know how many people less than a thousand quite small in the middle of nowhere Um, I have very few memories in this place um, but I do remember it was hard Uh, and we were there for three years. And then after that, we moved to the state of Morelos, which is where my dad is from. So in Michoacan, we didn't have any family. We didn't know anybody. In Morelos, we, we did. Um, that's where my dad's family is from. I have cousins there that I still really care for. Um, um, and uh, yeah, I love that place in the world. I think it's beautiful. There is so much richness there. Uh, so much history also. Um, so yeah, we lived there for five years. And then one Christmas, uh, my aunts and uncles from the U.S., my mom's side of the family went to visit us. This was, to my knowledge, the first Christmas I've experienced in the American traditional style where um, Christmas Eve is celebrated and then on Christmas morning you open presents, etc., Mexicans don't do it like this. That was the first time I experienced this. And it was great getting presents. You what know? age would this have been? I would have been 10. You're 10. Uh-huh. Okay. And you were still living in Mexico? Um, yes. Yeah. But yeah. you went to visit your mom's side of the family? Wrong. They, they came they to visit came to us visit. Okay. In and brought uh-huh. the celebration in Mexico. American style celebration to Mexico. But in Mexico, Mexico. yes. Yeah, uh-huh. okay. Which was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And unbeknownst to us, my sisters and me, uh, my aunt and uncle, uh, my aunts and uncles pitched to my parents, hey, you know, would you guys like to move back and, you know, move the kids back to, to the US? Um, 
and it, that's how we ended up moving you know back to the u.s um when i was 11 we moved to to the states elizabeth was 10 and leslie was six um that's when we moved back to the u.s to arkansas this time to rogers arkansas and uh yeah there was Rogers. history what Rogers. Rogers. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah Rogers. Uh-huh. yeah christian has um he told me i don't know how this came up we were talking about rogers sure and he lots to talk and he about. said Rogers. Rogers. And I said, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, sometimes he'll have um, patients because Christian is, he works in the hospital. Sure. He's a wound care specialist. And he'll have somebody and he's checking for lucidness, basically, and say, do, do you know where you are? And a lot of them, there's a lot of, uh, there's a pretty large Hispanic community in Northwest Arkansas, yes, particularly in Springdale. Yeah. And they'll say, Rojus. And he mentioned that to me, and so that's why I just thought of that. So every once in a while, he'll drop a Rogers. Yeah, that's yes. funny. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you moved back to Arkansas. You yes. moved to Arkansas. This would have been the first time yeah. would have, you found first yourself in Arkansas. First time visiting Arkansas. Never been here before. Was your mother's family from here, from Arkansas, and that's why you, no. this was the state? So my mom is also from Mexico, but from very north Mexico, okay. Chihuahua. Um, okay, that's uh, one of the northernmost states in Mexico. Um, <clears throat> they grew up in El, uh, Juarez, which is right south of El Paso in Texas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so she actually, uh, she actually worked in Texas often. So it's very common for people who live on the border to work across the border, etc. Um, and so they moved to California years before my dad went to California. And then they met, and at the time when my dad and my mom got sent to Mexico as missionaries from this one particular church, which was very mission-minded, we got sent to Mexico. My aunt and uncle got sent to Arkansas as missionaries. Okay. This was early 90s. And, well, I guess 95 you know, for me to be four. So 96, that's when they moved to Arkansas. Um, Back then, there was a lot of Christian churches in Arkansas, but very few Hispanic Christian churches um, or Spanish-speaking Christian churches, if any at all, right? Uh, Aside from maybe a Catholic church or two. Um, And so, yeah, they moved here to be missionaries in Arkansas, in Rogers. And okay. so when we moved, they were already well-established here. And so they took us into their homes, actually. Yeah, we lived uh, with my grandmother for a few months and then with my aunt for a few months and then, yeah, so on and so forth. Okay. And I know you have since then jumped around a little bit in terms of where you've been in the sure. world. Mm-hmm. But... Um, how long were you then in Arkansas before you left for the first time? Oh, uh, in terms of you leaving to go and live somewhere else? Yeah, for sure. So uh, the whole time, yeah, since I've been eleven, I've been here. Okay, up until twenty twenty. Uh huh. That was the the first time that I moved out of the country. Okay. Um. Yeah. So from two thousand four, fall of two thousand four, up until summer of twenty twenty. 
you know, so whatever that is, uh, uh -huh. 16 years. Um, and then, yeah, for all our listeners, I moved to um, Liechtenstein from 2020 onward up until just a few months ago. I moved back to Arkansas. Yeah. yeah. But we'll, and we'll come back to that. But so during that period before, 11 to, you said what age? 20, 11, 20, 20, 11 20, until 2020. Uh -huh. And how old are you now? 29. 29. Uh -huh. Okay. Almost I, there. I had to think about there. it. Bro, I stopped counting. It doesn't yeah. matter anymore yeah. for right. sure. I'm single. But, I'm thriving in my lane, full speed ahead. And not for long feels, once this podcast gets out there. Bro, you, <laughs> feels great. I'm excited. Yeah. Um, but so you lived here with your family in a pretty Christianized area. Yeah. Um, and at that point, was your parent, were your parents both pretty involved with the church then here? Yeah. So that was an interesting time. So we were missionaries in Mexico. Yeah. And then we moved here. And my dad essentially was a minister for the church that we were a part of. And then as it always happens, there was some drama and then that church split. And I think three churches came out of it. Um, and my dad joined one of them and he was still a minister at that church. Uh, and then about eight years ago, uh, my dad was get offered to be a pastor in a different town here in Arkansas. And so my parents went down there, um, which was a really cool story also. Um, uh, about how I was, you know, doors were wide open for me to move to Fayetteville. So at this time, we were living in Centerton when this was happening. Um, but I ended up moving to Fayetteville um, for the U of A. And when I could have gone to uh, Conway, to the university that is down there, uh -huh. I was a sophomore uh, on in my studies. Um but yeah, it just worked out to where I stayed in Fayetteville and my parents moved to Conway. Um, and they kept that going up until two years ago. Yeah. Okay. Is there a better time to talk about your faith journey during that period? Or should we come back to that? Whatever you want to do. Yeah. Ask away. I mean, let's, let's dig into it now. Let's so dig did, into was it, it yeah. was it normal and accepted and you felt good about your Christian upbringing as a child? So that's funny. Uh, man, Jesus has always been everything for me. Uh -huh. Even though my parents were missionaries, there was never a doubt in my heart that he was real because I saw him. He was always present. I didn't see him, right, with my eyes, uh -huh. but I saw him working in people. I saw him change people. I saw my dad with so much zeal go up to people and pray for them and you could see it in their eyes. Something had changed, and my mom would do the same thing. Um, things always happen when people follow Jesus because we have an enemy, right? Uh, there is an enemy. Um, that is the devil. I believe that. And he tries to kill, steal, and destroy and so many things have happened in, in uh, my family, uh, specifically with my dad, that have made that very present, that there is an enemy that just wants to destroy everything. Um, 
However, through that, I was still able to see some really cool things. In, in Michoacán, for example, when the first place that we moved to in, in Mexico, mm-hmm. uh, there was a lot of witchcraft in this little town. People didn't like us. I remember walking out of the house uh, often and, you know, Hedwig from Harry Potter, the, yeah. the, the owl, bir- the owl uh-huh. bird. Uh, in Spanish, they call those uh, lechuzas. These are very specific birds that are specifically used for, for witchcraft. Um, and they would be hanging out in broad daylight just in front of our house. Huh. Uh, those snowy owls. Similar, right? Similar. Not that specific okay. one because okay. those are particular to... Hedwig is from places where there is snow. That's okay. why he's white. Yeah. Uh, or she, rather. It's a, it's a she. Um, but still, there are this uh, species of, of, of bird um, in Mexico because of how many mountains there are. So Mexico is very mountainous, actually. Uh-huh. Um, and there's owls and then there's lechuzas, which is the type of bird that, uh, Hedwig would be. And you would, you don't see them during the daytime normally, these type of birds. Um, but we would, (laughs) and so it was interesting, right? But even through that, man, like I just saw people just, yeah, like even as a child, you know, five, six years old, I would watch people come to church to where we were having our congregation and just give their life to Christ, which to me, church was never religion. I understand that differently now that I'm an adult, but to me, going to church was never religion. It was always about relationship. And your question was, did I always feel happy about what I believed in? Did I always feel comfortable with it? No, I didn't always feel comfortable with it because I wanted to fit in because I wanted to be cool because I wanted to to be with the other kids who weren't Christian or who weren't as as devoted as I was I always was but it wasn't only because my parents were the pastor family because Uh they set an expectation and oftentimes that's the case right it always was because for me Jesus has been real and because he has been very present in my life up to this moment and, you know, sitting here in okay. this incredible studio. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, that's great. That's good to hear. And I think you said early in that explanation um, that Jesus was always very real to you, even though your parents were missionaries. Correct. I think you said Even that. though. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because... I know from talking to a number of different people who have parents who are pastors or missionaries or teachers, Christian teachers of some sort, <laughs> and that there is a reputation for the pastor's kid going off a very different Nuts. direction. Yep, for yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> Nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've known some of those. Sure. Um, yeah. And it is a shame. And it, it it's just, sad. It's yeah. it's very sad, and mm-hmm. it makes me really curious about how that ends up happening. And if I were a pastor and I had children, if I saw that taking place, what would it mean about the way that I was doing my relationship with God, about my Christianity and what it looked like, and how it actually practically played out in my life? Why would those closest to me not want anything to do with it? has always been a, a curious thing to me and i love hearing of people who did have a different experience who 
had parents who were pastors or missionaries of some sort who also loved Jesus and grew up and continued loving Jesus. I think that's amazing. It's good, man. Yeah. It's, it's so good. Um, yeah, it's so good. Yeah. Were you, so did you continue being involved though with it in church culture, we'll say, while here in the States after moving to Arkansas? Yes. So, of course, my dad being a minister, we were always going to church. Right. Always, always. And so, just to clarify for anybody listening who is, who has this question, having a relationship with Jesus does not mean going to church. Right. Right. And vice versa. Going to church does not mean having a relationship with Jesus. I feel like that's a very important explanation. Mm-hmm. We went to church a lot. I mean, Monday night prayer, Tuesday night Bible study. Thursday night church service for the whole congregation, Sunday Sunday school, and then Sunday afternoon church service. Um, sometimes my dad was a huge fan of these things called crusades, where Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday church, you know, and <laughs> it was a lot of a lot of church and a lot of expectation also, because you had to be there. Yeah. You had to help. You had to get there early because we're the kids of the guy who's going to be, you know, <clears throat> either speaking or, you know, doing being involved in some way. And we were the kids of that guy. Right. And so there was always expectation to be there early, you know, look clean and presentable and welcome people and say hello and things like that. And yeah, so we were very involved in in church up until our college years um i think it's (laughs) i don't want to say burnt out but i think my sisters and i have taken the attitude that we're gonna take a break because again church isn't a relationship with jesus right and so i think our perspective for my sisters and i uh, i don't speak for my sisters but i from my observation um I think our perspective has shifted to um, being involved with Jesus while doing something else, you know, loving Jesus while doing something else. Um, yeah, I think I think that's what it's been up to this point. Yeah, and I'm glad you'd made that distinction. That because I, I think this can be difficult for people a lot of the time. There, because there's the distinction of having a relationship with Jesus does not equate to going to a certain building with a certain group on a certain day. Correct. And vice versa is also true. Just because you do that activity does not mean you have a relationship with this God. Correct. Um, and But if you have a relationship with this God, saying I took a break from going to church is not saying I took a break from, from having a relationship right. with God. Yeah. Um, that's an activity that in that is one of the activities of that is in your life probably if you have a relationship with God, the activity of meeting with other people who also do that, but it doesn't equate to that relationship. Sure. So taking a break from going to church is probably something that should be thought more about and what it means. Mm-hmm. For different people because it can become it can become mixed with that idea 
that my relationship with God is inexplicably tied to my church attendance. Mm -hmm. And if I stop going to church, my life habits are going to fall apart. I'm not going to do the things I think I should be doing as a Christian. I'm not going to talk much with God because my relationship maybe was actually just a certain behavior. I think a lot of people. I think a lot of people who who maybe say that they don't believe in God or you know don't want anything to do with church. Uh, they do so because they've seen bad examples, right? And um, it's quite a sad thing. Um, I noticed this at one church that I was a part of, and I was very involved with it. I wanted to be because I thought I was doing the right thing. This was when I was much younger. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, I was freaking out uh, because I was like, man, I'm not, I'm not a good Christian because I'm not doing enough for this church but one of the realizations that i came to is that what i was doing at that time was not following jesus but rather following this church's doctrine i was following this church's rules and you know god is not a rule setter he's not he doesn't he he, oh my gosh he wants (laughs) he wants relationship with us right and a relationship with God is a relationship like any other very intimate, very tender, very loving relationship. But when, you know, church doctrine, church dogma gets in there, then it can get really strict and really messy and really annoying and really pokey. And and that's not God, unfortunately. Um, you know, and so if anybody listening, um, you know, has ever had... Uh, you know, doubts about, you know, trying to go to church because that seems like a barrier. Don't worry about it, you know, uh, because people are people and people make mistakes. So just go to a church, find one, look for one. That might take a while Yeah, where they prioritize Jesus, where mm-hmm. they prioritize who he is and not their rules, not the way that they dress, not the things that they do, but you know, when they prioritize Jesus and their relationship with him. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of, for myself and my experience, one of the ways you can kind of gauge that sort of thing is look at the people who are there and how they treat each other and how they treat people around them. Yes. Like, don't go in and have a list of theological ideals that a church needs to meet. Yes. Um, Because you're going to be let down every time Mm -hmm. because... I have my theological ideals or ideas and convictions and some of them I'm bound to be wrong about or to have aspects of that are wrong because I'm always going to grow. I'm always going to grow and change and my perspective is going to change. As I get closer to God or further away or whatever that looks like, I'm going to see him from different angles and things are going to look different. Mm -hmm. The church is like the people within a church or the pastor in a church is going to be doing the same. And to hold any church to a specific standard of their teaching needs to line up with all these things, I think is missing the point. Yes. Yes. I I think that one of the most important and most noticeable things about a body of people claiming to belong to Christ is how unified are they? How do they love each other? Jesus said, 
this is how they you they will know that you are my disciples that you love one another that's that's a pretty i mean you don't have to go into the question of oh but what does that look like practically all the time i think if you see a group it's pretty obvious it's pretty obvious yeah it's pretty intuitive and it's really exciting yes to be around especially with a larger group if you are in a larger group it's intuitive if they are loving each other well yes yes um it feels different it feels good yeah yeah both of us say this as people who are involved with a church body that does that quite well i think and we both so we're involved in the same church antioch yes and they um they love people very well Mm -hmm. i've as someone who has been going there less than a year and has been really drawn in very closely and loved very well and very practically when it has been needed to from all in all sorts of ways um that's where i'm coming from when i say these things about a church experience and having been to other churches where some i could also say this about and some i would not say that about um i agree find a church and it yeah it may take a long time i know it tends okay it tends it it from what i hear people have a lot of difficulty finding a good church okay good is in air quotes because you know that that's the perfect a very, church that's doesn't a very exist. vague word right. yeah uh-huh. um yeah. <laughs> i haven't experienced it myself because somehow i've just wandered into the right churches always often yeah yes uh-huh. um when i moved to arkansas uh-huh. i got here i believe on a monday uh-huh. a monday afternoon and wednesday night i wandered into a church and that became my home is that right? Next, that yeah. quickly? The Grove, okay. yes. Yeah, for sure. That became my home for the next year and a half, two years, sure. I think. Two years, You've been probably. here for three years in Arkansas? I've been in Arkansas for over four years okay, now. Okay, cool. And I've only been going to Antioch since, for one year. Okay. Last January, I started going. Okay. So I guess three years, okay. I was part of the Grove. Uh-huh. Um, and then happened upon a couple of young ladies in a coffee shop as you do who told me about antioch sure and started going there yes um in very good timing it was actually at a time when i was wanting to and feeling prompted to move on to something else yeah um and i looked a little bit i attended a church a little bit and tried to become involved and it didn't work out. And then organically through the habit of frequenting coffee shops, I just heard about another church yeah. full of, by the way, pretty like other young people. Yeah. Which my, my previous church was not. And that was, that was a little bit of a I've difficulty I've experienced that me. also, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I just organically ended up there. And it was the same case in um, when I was in Australia mm-hmm. of kind of just literally not just not kind of literally pulling up google maps on my phone and searching for churches and just picking one mm-hmm. and then i would go and i'd, I'd wander in and i would meet all these wonderful people yeah. somehow it, it just turned yeah. out really well yeah. <laughs> it's um one of my favorite experiences one of my favorite memories is being in australia i was in sydney i was staying with an old lady who was a little off her rocker 
<laughs> and I was so happy at the opportunity to go into the city on the weekend and uh-huh. try and find a church. <laughs> and, and I just, I picked, I looked for Hillsong specifically because sure. I knew of it. Sure, yeah. I knew it was based in Sydney, or I, th- I knew it was based in Australia at the very least. I don't know if I knew it was campus originally in Sydney. I think the first campus Sydney. is yeah. in Sydney. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I picked one, picked one of their campuses, and I wandered in early, as I tended to do, because I figure that gives me the best opportunity to find some connection with people there. And I went in, and people saw me, and they greeted me. No real conversations came up right away, though. And so I wandered into the main area where the service would be held and I kind of looked around a little bit and the worship band was practicing and I sat down close to the back center row, one of the center rows anyway, wherever, however many there were. And I just sat there and I listened to them practice for a while and then they, they finished practice and they kind of started going their own ways before service and one of them came down from the stage and came and walked toward me. Straight to you. Straight to me. And he put out his hand to shake my hand. This was pre-COVID. <laughs> he put out his hand to shake my hand. And he introduced himself as Phil. <laughs> hey, Phil. Hello. Phil is from uh, Belgium, I believe. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> you forgive me if I'm getting that wrong. I should, I should, I should send this to him when it releases. And he said, um, he introduced himself, asked me a few questions I don't remember. And then he said, well, a a bunch of us are are gathering in the room over here, the green room, before the service, if you want to come and hang out with us and pray a little bit. I said, sure. I got up and there's like the opportunity I'm hoping for being handed to me. And I got up and I went with him to this room to the right of the stage and there's like a dozen other people in there who were all involved with the worship team playing music. And he's like, hey guys, this is Joel. And he introduces me and everybody says, hey Joel. And then the pastor is in there too. And they start talking about the service and what they're hoping for it. And then they they pray and everybody prays at the same time out loud. Right. And it's, yeah. it's very interesting. And I'm there kind of looking around and not knowing what exactly I'm going to do. And that's not the kind of thing I'm used to. And um, yeah, then we, we leave and he introduced, Phil introduced me to some other people. And that's how I got plugged into that community there at, um, ooh, I, what's the name of that campus? It was not the main campus where Brian Houston will speak on Sundays. It was another campus in, um, oh, I can't remember right now. That's okay. Yeah. One of those notebooks over there, I'm <clears> sure, <throat> has has the information. You have a lot of notebooks. You have a lot of knowledge. I'm most sure of it's them, in there somewhere. Most of them are empty. <laughs> Is that right? Okay. Yes, most, most of those right there are empty. So there's, filled, one of those there's, there's filled ones in the back. Oh, is that right? Those, in the back. Okay. A few of them, yeah. Yes. But yeah, that that was just another instance. And there had been a couple of others, or at least one other of me wandering into a church and then being and it, taken and in being by them. Good. Uh-huh. It being very good. So, yes. so yeah. that, all that to say, I've not had to struggle and to find try a, a lot of different churches to find one that worked good. or that had yeah. community that was very good for yeah. me. 
but I know that a lot of people have that experience. So find a good church. It's okay. It's okay if it takes time. Uh, yeah. Brother, I could talk about this all day long because yeah. I, I do love Jesus and uh, I hope people who meet me can see that. Um, but we can talk about other things. Yes, we as can. Well. Yeah. We can. It's not that we have to talk about other things. But I would like to. But get we also don't have to talk too. about Jesus yeah. because he knows and he's present. Yeah. And so we can talk about other things. Yeah. As yeah. Well. I, what would you like to know? I'd like to know more about um, 2020 and what that looked like for the you. Year so you, so for you me. went to Liechtenstein. Liechtenstein. Yeah. Liechtenstein. When did you leave for there in 2020? Yes, I was there 2020. I left for Liechtenstein in 2020. Okay. June, when? Uh, June. June. We moved in September 1st, 2020. Okay. So the pandemic had, was already in full swing. Sure. At this time. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. For those listening in the future, there was a global pandemic. It affected our lives due to a virus that definitely affected our lives in uh-huh. numerous lives ways, dramatically. Yeah. Um, for those listening in more real time, you know. But <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so you moved to Liechtenstein. Yes. Why? Why not? So that's a good question to ask too. Um, I majored in art and German. I wanted to design cars for BMW. I love cars. I love drawing. I love design. I love um, things. Watches fascinate me. You and I can talk about them all the time because there is so much that revolves around this particular object. To somebody looking from the outside in, watch is a watch. You know, buy a Casio. That's all you need. Well, guess what? There's history. There's design. There's craftsmanship. There is prestige all involved in this one particular item. There's competition all involved in one particular item. I don't really care to watch sports too much, but at the same time, I really love sports because of what they do for people. They bring people together. They create unity. They create a sense of belonging in a sport. They, they provide energy. When the Saints won the Super Bowl, I forget what year, this had been just a few years after Hurricane Katrina had destroyed New Orleans. And there was something that that city needed because it rebuilt the morale of those people. So I, I am interested in so many things. So design and art are something that I really care about because it is present everywhere. Um, there's design to everything that we touch, everything that we see. There's design to it. Uh, there's thought put into it. Um, and so I love this. And so I studied art and German because I wanted to design cars for BMW. You studied at the U of A? At the U of A, University of Arkansas, um, here in Fayetteville. Um, And uh, I wanted to go study abroad, maybe as a way of like making connections, maybe as a way of, of, of finding a way to get in. The closer I got to graduating from from my undergrad, from bachelor's, uh, the more that I discovered I'm not good enough. I'm simply not good enough. I might be able to be good enough. At design. At design. Uh Car designers are the most elite designers out there. Um, Yeah. The more that I read, the more that I researched into it, I can draw. I'm okay at it. I'm decent. I can communicate visually. Um, but these people are so good, so good. Um, and so I graduated with my degree in graphic design and German. So I was a double major. I could speak German when I graduated from, from the U of A. Okay. Uh, I never could go to Europe, however. 
I never could go as a, as a as a exchange student or to study abroad. I never could. Uh, three times I tried through for, school through, as part of through my school, your three different that. scholarships, three different durations, three okay. different places. It always failed for one reason or another. You know, talk about getting upset. You know, talk about thinking that God is against you. Talk about <laughs> thinking that God doesn't want you to do something. Uh-huh. Um, but which I'll tell you another really cool story here in a minute. Um, I'm going to get to it. But, uh, you know, it just wasn't possible. And I discovered that I didn't want to go work for any car company anyway, um, just because I, I, I lost interest in that. So <clears throat> I graduated from the University of Arkansas. And that summer, I ended up getting a job with Lewis and Clark, which is a, a local uh, outdoor store here in the area. That family is amazing. Um, Rob, if you're listening, thank you. Um, Hi, Rob. From the bottom of my heart. Um, They are incredible uh, at caring for people. You've experienced this. Yes. And um, man, I was a wreck when I walked in there. I I was so, uh, I lacked a lot of confidence, which that's something we can touch into also, right? Um, uh, Yeah, I was an absolute loser. Or at least I saw myself as that for most of my life. Um, and then I came to this store and I started working. I needed a job. I was uh, not quite starving, but close. I was really broke. And uh, I had this 1998 Honda Accord that was broken in so many ways. And it didn't have a heater. And Talk I drove- about a marvel of design right there bro it, yeah. it'll go two hundred and sixty thousand mm-hmm. miles i think it had and no heater so that was the worst <laughs> part i couldn't afford anything better it cost more to fix the heater in that car than the car was worth yeah so i just drove it um and in the winter it sucked it was I horrible bet. yeah horrible horrible driving to see my parents in conway was so awful especially in the in the winter when if it was below freezing it was torture to drive three hours in just sub-freezing temperatures, uh, it, it was just hard. And I couldn't afford a nice jacket, Couldn't, which the down jacket that I have now, thanks to working in the outdoor industry, was great. But I didn't have any of that, you know. Um, and it was just hard. Lewis and Clark welcomed me, and I was able to work there quickly. They built me up to being a manager. And in my time being there, they, they uh, really encouraged me to try new things, before working at Lewis and Clark, I uh, had never gone camping, never gone skiing, never gone kayaking, never done anything outdoors. Uh, rock climbing I had tried, but not as much. Um, anyway, I just didn't know that much. But they encouraged me to try new things and to explore and to be an explorer and to, and to try different things. And they helped me to the point where I went to Iceland, uh, my first solo trip or you know trip without my parents. For seven days and I was hooked, man. I love Iceland. If I can go again, if if somebody tells me, hey, do you want to go? I will say yes. So um, you you took this trip with Zach Galley? Is correct. That right? Yeah, it was yeah. Zach Galley. Incredible <laughs> trip. I don't know what he has told you about it. It is awesome. Uh Iceland. I love Iceland so much. Zach, we're gonna get you on here soon. We will. Uh, uh much love, brother. Um the movie, uh, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, mm, I had one never of my seen favorite it. Movies. I had never seen it until after doing the trip. Okay. And I've been twice already to Iceland. Anyway, 
these, I tell you all those experiences because we, you asked me, how did I get to Liechtenstein? It, all those things needed to happen before I built the confidence to go on a major trip to Europe. So after working with Lewis and Clark for four years, uh, I told them, hey, I'm going to quit. I'm going to go to Europe. Uh, I'm going to go couch surf and uh, work away my way through Europe for as long as I can. Uh, because I was forgetting my German. It had been four years since I had practiced it, and I majored in it, and I didn't want to lose it. And so uh, I ended up quitting, and I uh, hopped on a plane. I bought my mom a ticket also to go with me. She had never been to Europe, and so we were able to go and spend the week in Italy. It had been a dream of hers, which, praise God, I was able to, to pay for basically all her trip. And then my sister, Leslie, came along with us. Fun trip. It was great. Um, we spent a week in, in Italy. They flew back and I made my way from Milan in northern Italy, north through Switzerland to Germany, where I had my first workaway. Workaway is uh, a website similar to Woofing, except Woofing is uh, mostly farm farming. Workaway can be anything. Um, so the first family I worked with lived in a 300-year-old house, which looked like a castle. And they had four donkeys, and I took care of the donkeys and their chickens, and I helped, you know, the family with their garden, etc. But on my way to Germany, from Switzerland, I was like, I want to go to Liechtenstein, because I've never been there before. You don't hear very much about it. Mm-hmm. And so I took the train from Zurich in Switzerland to go to Liechtenstein. I thought it was not what it is. Uh, I thought it was going to be like a metropolis of a, of a place. It turns out it's mostly farmland, mostly country. The biggest city has just under 7,000 people in it. Um, so there were no grand hotels to check into yeah. or anything. Uh-huh. Um, and I was backpacking through Europe. And so I get on Couchsurf and I'm like, man, are there any hosts here? There was one guy who responded. He allowed me to to spend the night with him. I said, great, go to his place. It's mid-afternoon. It's like 5, 4 p.m. And he invites me in. He's from the U.S. And he is, uh, you know, chilling. He invites me into his uh, balcony. We're overlooking the Dreischwester mountain. And uh, he, I asked him, so what do you do for fun? And then he goes, well, mostly I hang out with people from work. I said, oh, cool. Where do you work? And then he goes, I work for this company called Hilti. It's here in town. And actually, some buddies of mine are hanging out today. Do you want to come with us? I said, sure. Great. Fast forward. Uh, it's two in the morning. We're back in the apartment. We already <laughs> went to the bar, came back. Um, and then he's a little tipsy. Uh, I don't drink so at this point. And so... Um, uh, you know, he uh, ended up telling me, hey, you're, you, you would be really good at this job, what I'm doing right now. He worked in HR for Hilti. And so he said, here, here's my number. Call me. Um, you should start working for this company. Um, I kind of thought he was joking. Fast forward, I am back in the U.S. My three-month trip through Europe is over. I message him. Um, shout out to Nick, uh, if you're listening, uh, really appreciate, uh, 
um, what you did. Contacted him, he set me up, and then fast forward, it's 2020, pandemic hits. And I'm like, it's not gonna happen. Mm-hmm. It's just not gonna happen, which was unfortunate because again, I wanted to live in Europe so bad. And uh, once more, this pandemic happened. So it seems like it's just not gonna be possible. Um, pandemic happens, I'm messaging you know, the HR people. Hey, what's going on? We don't know. April, hey, what's going on? We don't know. You know, May, hey, what's going on? We don't know. June, get ready. You're going to be uh, welcoming you in July. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's happening. And so July 2020, I moved to Germany, quarantined for two weeks, started school in August because they want to train you in German so that you're proficient in German by the time you start working. Uh-huh. And then September 1st, 2020, lived in Liechtenstein. Is German the national language for Liechtenstein? Yes. Okay. Yes. 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 Which is not, by the way, Germany. No, no, Liechtenstein yeah. is a tiny For those country. who don't know, which is probably most people, uh-huh. I did not know anything about it until I met you um, again. <laughs> uh, so explain what explain Liechtenstein. Liechtenstein is uh, the last remaining monarchy in Europe. Um, so they do have a king and a queen who sadly recently passed away. When I was there, the last two weeks that I was there, she passed away, which was... You know, it's a sad thing. Um, it's a tiny country, uh, 10 kilometers wide by four kilometers, sorry, 10 kilometers long, north to south by four kilometers wide. Oh my goodness. At its widest point. So really quite small. Um, goodness gracious. I, I've never heard you actually say in the, the numbers of it. how, uh-huh. that is very. Maybe it's wrong. Maybe it's 10 miles. So yeah, it's a little bit longer. It's more like but even, 15, even that, let's kilometers. say it's uh-huh. 10 it's miles wide and, and five miles broad. Correct. Yeah. Uh-huh. Even so that. It's tiny. Is, it's really small. It's yeah. in a valley. Look up the history of this place. It is so interesting. And I love it. Watch the economics explained uh, video about Liechtenstein. It is so cool. Okay. Because um, I have questions I could ask you, and maybe it will take us down the rabbit that, holes. Even though I live there, I don't know that much about this place. It is just such an interesting corner of the world um, because it is a sister country to Switzerland, in, in essence, not entirely, but yes. Um, and Switzerland is such a cool place. I love Switzerland. <laughs> I have friends that, uh, oh man, they are the biggest blessing um, that. that you know, are there, and I cannot wait to go see them again. Um, however, uh, Liechtenstein, very interesting. Yeah, if if you would have to do some research on it on your own, because yeah. I don't know enough about it to okay. answer those questions. Because I'm, I mean, I'm immediately curious, thinking it's that small. Yes. How did it survive the war? It's nuts. It's a really cool story. I guess being also bordering Switzerland was uh-huh. probably helpful. Yes. Switzerland being a neutral country and having, you know, survived relatively well, seemingly, through, mm-hmm. through World War II. Mm-hmm. But for a country mm-hmm. that's, you know, less than 15 square miles yeah. to have bordered Germany it's really and survived is really interesting. It's really interesting. They do have sirens that they play once a month, uh, just in case of either natural disaster or war, which mm. is super cool. Yeah. Um, because it's very much present, right? It's something that could happen, you know, maybe not anytime soon, but maybe it could. And yeah. so they, they are prepared. Um, okay. Wow. So you spent how long there? Um, in Liechtenstein, 
12 months. Okay. And then in Germany, a month and a half. And this was just, so the first solo trip that I took when I met Nick, who got me with Hilti, was 2019, spring 2019. Okay. And then I came back to Arkansas for just over a year. Um, and then I went back to to Europe, but this time for 12, 14, 14 months total. Uh-huh. Okay. And just worked for Hilti, for Hilti. the whole time? Mm-hmm. What does Hilti do? Hilti is a construction and power tool te- technology company. Okay. Um, they make power tools and construction technologies. Um, they do the most famous thing they are. F- the thing they're most famous for is uh, their power drills. They're like $350 power drills. Okay. Uh, the the so name, I've heard the name sure. before. It's, it's familiar. It's very, very iconic red packaging for everything. Um, very strong, solid logo. Uh, very high quality. Very cool stuff. Uh, very okay. innovative. They invest a ton in innovation, which is super cool. When you start working for Hilti, <clears throat> they onboard you by doing this thing com- called Welcome to Hilti. The actual CEO um you know, is in a room with you and he asks you questions and introduces you to the history of, of the of the company and why it's important that we are all on board with the same mission. But at the same time, it's really intimate. It feels really good. Um, uh, it, me, it Being in that meeting felt like I was in a classroom with a professor who really cared about your success, which is great because that's kind of the nature of, of uh, Liechtenstein in general. It tends to be really intimate because it's so small. Everybody knows each other. Mm-hmm. Um Anyway, uh, part of this is you go into this room called a trade hall and it's just a big open room and they have a ton of concrete blocks and you just go ham on, on the tools. <laughs> so you can, you can drill stuff, you can uh, anchor things to other things, you can cut wood, you can uh, demolish some things with the jackhammers and the, wow. it is cool. It is fun. Uh-huh. Okay. And you worked in HR? No. I them? ended up working with the events team, which... They are wonderful people. Uh, I am sad that the pandemic was going on. It definitely dampened the experience. Yeah. Um, but these were great people to work with. Um, I think if the pandemic hadn't been going on, my experience would have been stellar because these people were really good. Um, really, really great. Uh, it's funny because before I started working, we went to a restaurant. I say we, meaning the other two Americans that were there with me and myself. We went to our restaurant and we met this gentleman who is from Austria, really thick accent. And we asked him, hey, we're new here. Where can we go explore? And then he said, oh, you have to go to Hittisau. Hittisau is a tiny town somewhere in the mountains in Austria. Like the road dead ends right there at Hittisau. (laughs) Um, And uh, he said, oh, it's unglaublich. It's so beautiful. You won't believe it. Uh, And so I start working and... The people from the office, I'm getting to know all of them. What's super sweet. They greeted me with a box of chocolates. And they're like, welcome, Raul. And they all had signed this card, etc. It's so nice. Um, Good chocolate, probably, too. Swiss chocolate, yeah. indeed. Yeah, Lind, uh, which is based in Zurich. So uh-huh, okay. very good stuff. Uh-huh. Um, though my favorite chocolate is uh, Lederach. Uh, I was introduced to that by a dear friend uh, named Jasmin. And uh, yeah, she introduced me to Lederach and that thing is... Where, not, where nothing, is that from? Nothing better. So Lederach is a last name. It's the, the guy who started it, who apparently is a believer too, which, oh, is, okay. which is great. Lovely. Uh, but you don't find Lederach at the store. You find it at Lederach boutiques. They sell it to you by the slab. 
Oh. You tell them you tell them how much of a slab you want, like how big with your hands. Like, uh-huh. oh, I want about this much. And then they break it off for you and then they, they sell it to you. And it's wow. they sell it to you by the weight. And it's expensive, but it's so yummy. Is it just in Europe? Uh, so far, yes. Yeah. I asked the lady the week that I was leaving Liechtenstein back to Arkansas. I asked the lady like, hey, you know, do you know if there's any Ladrach in the U.S.? She goes, so far, no. However, they are going to buy <clears throat> this very specific brand uh, called Godiva, Godiva, oh. which you see at Kohl's stores. Yeah, yeah. And they market it as being like this super fancy chocolate here in the U.S. I personally always, even before I knew about Lederach, thought it was subpar chocolate. Yeah, I thought it was way it's overpriced. Pretty, I think it's average. Uh, it's nothing very special. Nothing special. Yeah. I don't. I don't think it's special. I think. Um, it tastes just like Dove chocolate, so yeah. n- nothing great. Uh-huh. Um, but if Lederach buys them, uh, the quality will go up because Lederach isn't just a completely different level. Even even than Lind or Lindor chocolates, uh, they 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 do things just better. Uh-huh. It's just higher quality of chocolate. That's why it's so expensive because they just it's like craft coffee. Right? Yeah, you know, it's just right better. Yes. Anyway, um, I think I, I wish I could wish more for more craft chocolate here. That's the next big thing. It's yeah. happening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to go to the coffee shop anymore. You're right. Gonna, chocolate, <laughs> chocolate shop. Chocolate shop. <laughs> Different subculture. Yeah. That would be cool. Um, I'm talking with one of the guys and he's like, hey, what are you into? Are you outdoorsy? And I was like, yeah. He goes, oh, cool. And I found out that he was a mountain biker great i love mountain biking um first weekend comes up he asked same guy asked me hey raul what are you gonna do with your weekend and i was like well i wanted to explore the area a little bit i think i'm gonna go to this place called hitisau and people around us started laughing and i didn't know why and he he was just quiet and he goes where and i was like hitisau in austria and they were all like, did he tell you to go there? I was like, what? <laughs> Apparently this guy, his family goes back generations in this town of Hitisau. Oh. And uh, he has a farmhouse out there and his dad lives next to him and his brother lives down the block, etc. And I think he was trying to be the mayor of this town, um, which is great. I love the guy. Simon, uh, Simon. Liebe Grüße. Hasen um very very cool guy uh and yeah so he's like let me know when you come and we'll hang out and so he invited me to to his house that he built himself because his family uh they're carpenters so the house is made entirely of wood and we showed me around uh the trails in hitties out very pretty and uh you they have um uh mountain cheese bear is uh, very popular over there and uh <laughs> mountain cheese yes uh-huh, that's what that you you said what what's it called uh berkese it literally means mountain cheese. Uh-huh. did i say how, how is my berkese ber berg berg kese kese um it means mountain cheese okay uh-huh. mountain cheese what uh-huh. animal does this come from cow cow uh-huh. okay uh-huh. um you can buy it at the uh cheese bending machine which is great whoa first time using one uh and so 
Simon took me to to the machine and he said, yeah, you have to get this kind and this kind. You know, the, those are good starter pieces. And so I, you know, that's got, so interesting. Got my cheese and then uh, he took me to the bus station and then I just went back uh, home. So it, it was great. Um, so that's just to let you know, you know, the, the culture of, of Liechtenstein and uh, of, of Hilti. So it was a fantastic experience. Awesome. Um, and how far? So. It's yeah. pretty normal to be there. You're in Liechtenstein and you say, oh, I'm going to go visit this place in Austria. Well, Is it a, a day trip? You get on a bus and it's an hour or how, how, it how depends. does that work? It depends. So like if you look at a map, Switzerland is only about two thirds the size of Arkansas. Not very big. On the train, it takes about five hours to get from one corner of Switzerland to the other. By the car, it takes about four hours, I believe. Um, Austria is not very big, but because of the mountains, there's no straight shot. Same thing with Switzerland. There's no straight okay. shot to go somewhere. So even with the car, it just takes a long time to, to go anywhere because of the mountains. You kind of have to squiggle your way through this and that and you know yeah and speed limits not very high um but yeah so Liechtenstein is it right next to switzerland to switzerland and right next to austria okay so i went to switzerland almost daily because that's where my friends lived um i went to church in switzerland um hung out in switzerland a whole bunch um i woke up in my balcony i could see switzerland the mountains were right there just yeah two kilometers away I would ride my bike over there. It's, uh, Italy is two hours south of Liechtenstein by car. Um, and then Austria was 10 minutes away by bus. Uh -huh. And Germany was 30 minutes away. Uh -huh. Is At this time anyway, from your experience, what was the process like of crossing a border? To us, well. For you at that time, was it easy? Yes. It, Yes. Just like crossing state borders yes. in the U.S.? Yes. Okay. Man, that's so cool. Yeah. Super cool. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. And you, so you went to Switzerland a lot. Yes. At this point in your life, were you already into watches? Oh, big time. <laughs> yeah. So I started loving watches when I was 12 or 13. We live in a pretty uh, poor neighborhood in Rogers in Rogers. Um, Ooh, got some of that cowboy coffee. Oh, yeah? Yeah, mm, got to the I bottom love it. of the cup. That's my favorite. Do you like to drink Turkish coffee? Have you ever had Turkish I've, coffee? I've, mm, I'm trying to remember. When you said that, a memory stirred in my mind. <laughs> it, it did stir. Of, it, yeah, it, something started brewing something in your started mind. brewing in my mind of, <laughs> of someone asking me that and potentially making Turkish coffee. Uh, but I don't. But maybe remember. they didn't I don't, do it right. I don't recall yeah. the experience. Yeah. No, if you don't remember, they didn't do it right. Um, I'm gonna just go ahead and make that claim right. Okay. Now. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, where were we? Watches. Watches. We lived yeah. in this uh, relatively poor neighborhood in in Rogers. That was all we could afford, right? <clears throat> uh, all of our, um, and we couldn't go anywhere either, right? So after school, we would just go home and play in the yard and or on my Game Boy, right, and uh, do homework, and that's it. We didn't go anywhere. But to get out of the house in the evenings, there was a Harps, which is a grocery store chain mm -hmm. here in Arkansas. 
we walked to the Harps, which was only, you know, seven minute walk from where we live. We didn't have a car either. We had one car, but it was not worth it to drive there. So we would just walk to the Harps. And back in the day, they had magazines. They had a magazine section. So there was a particular magazine. We would just go there to, you know, waste time and to, to chill and to get out of the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would buy a chocolate bar. Uh, because back then they would cost 50 cents. So each of us, so my sisters, myself, each of us got a chocolate bar and my mom would too. All together it would be like $2.20, which we would pay with cash because that was before debit cards took off, etc. And um, happy, happy times, right? Yeah. Uh, there was a magazine called DuPont Registry, um, which they've been the leader of exotic car sales for a long time. Um, now I'm sure there's more competition because DuPont. of online DuPont registry. Um, but you know, back then it was all through magazines. Um, and so they advertised mostly cars and I love cars. And so that's what I would go look for. But I remember seeing the ad for the Ulysse and Ardan freak, which is just a ridiculous timepiece. I remember looking at this thing. I didn't know anything about watches, but I remember looking at this thing and being intrigued, sucked in by this image that I was looking at. It was a, a full page ad for the Ulysse and Ardan watch. And I remember thinking, this is nuts. I don't know what it is. I don't know how it works. I don't know how much it costs, probably a lot. But it's beautiful. I remember just being so drawn by the design, which if you've never seen one of these before, Ulysse and Ardan, uh, it's spelled like Ulysses Nardin. Um, it's called the Freak. It is a, the movement. So most watches, you only see the hands moving and then what's called the face, which is where the numbers are. That's all you get to see most watches for for this watch, the movement is underneath the minute marker. And then the face is sunk beyond that. The only thing that's beyond the, the face is the spring, the coil spring. Uh, and it's you have to wind it, so it's, it's a manual watch. Uh, but then the, the whole movement is on the minute hand, which is beautiful. And the main gear is actually the entire inner side of the bezel, that's where the main gear is. And then this thing just rotates according to that. It is so cool. Wow. It doesn't have a crown. The way you wind it is by rotating the bezel um, a certain way. Huh. It's just such a cool piece. And I remember, yeah, I was 12 or 13 years old. And looking at this thing, I was like, I like watches now. And so I would go to this magazine and look at DuPont Registry for the watches and the boats and the cars and the private jets and all those things. And I think my child mind has just always been mesmerized by that. Mm. By functional art. Yes, which is what design is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, that's so cool. So 12 or 13, you got into into watches and Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So was that something on your mind specifically when you were in the Switzerland when, area? When I went to Zurich the first time, that's yeah. all I did. I okay. just went window shopping to all the places that I could think of, Hublot. And uh, I've, to this date, I've never seen an RM, uh, Richard Mille, uh, but I've seen Hublot, I've seen uh, some Ulysse and Arden, 
Breguet, of course, uh, Piaget, um, one of the really popular ones, of course, Rolex. Uh, I don't think, oh, Patek is everywhere in Switzerland. AP, Audemars is not so popular. You just don't see, I think they're more protective about their brand, but Patek is everywhere. Uh, you see Omega everywhere. You see Cartier everywhere. Uh, yeah, just a lot of really cool. Uh, IWC, you see a lot of them everywhere. Mm. Um, it's just cool. But then you also have tons of micro manufacturers nowadays, like you know, uh, and it, it's just cool. It's just yeah. cool. So yeah, I love the cars that. mostly. Uh, for Zurich, mostly the cars, the watches, but mostly the cars. What is uh? What give me some examples of Swiss cars? Because I'm not familiar at Swiss, all. With... Swiss don't make any cars, but okay. because Zurich is so wealthy, I mean so wealthy, um, you see them everywhere. There's this one particular bridge that joins two sides of uh, of the city, uh, and man, just I remember being. <laughs> so thrown off by the fact that it seemed like one in every 10 cars was a Porsche. Hmm. Uh, I mean, we're talking about... And you're right next to Germany as well, which does produce mm, a good bit of, you know, really luxury nice cars, cars. For sure. Uh, yes. But I mean, we're talking... Oh, gosh, it's just so hard to explain. Like, here in the US, we see a lot of Toyota, a lot of Honda, a lot of Ford, uh -huh. a lot of Chevy. You know, a lot of Dodge. That's it. Mostly American and Japanese manufacturers. Mm -hmm. In Europe, you're going to see a lot of European manufacturers. But that's like Volkswagen, Škoda, um, uh, Seat. But those are still pretty inexpensive cars. I remember being so confused almost that in, in Zurich, it was all nice cars. Everything was just nice. And it's so clean. And it's so beautiful. And it's, I'm going to go ahead and say that even Monaco wasn't as, doesn't feel as pretty as, as Zurich. It, there's just something about it. It huh. is very cool. Yeah. Do you think one of those, the something about it, do you think a lot of it has to do with the wealth? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. It does make a difference in the niceness of an area for sure yeah it's also a college town which is cool oh okay. um there's to my knowledge two universities maybe more maybe maybe i'm wrong but i think there's two universities in zurich and so it's a very young feeling city lots of uh young ambitious bankers go there so a lot of young feeling vibe to it um so yeah the very cool city also if okay. anybody has a chance to visit it uh, visited some of my european friends i'm sure some of the people in switzerland are like ah screw <laughs> so they there's the saying that uh zurich is the uh the texas of switzerland really so like uh, the people from zurich are very proud and loud and you know don't tread on me type of attitude but then everybody else around them is like oh that's texas okay Those are, ah this your hair yeah that's the, funny the people from zurich that's uh, you mentioned um, during your time at Lewis and Clark is when you started to build a lot of confidence yes. to, to do different things. Yes. Um, yes. That's interesting. You saying that was very interesting to me because my perception of you from the get-go, especially because you are reluctant to open up about different stories in your life, um, so people just hear snippets of different things and they're all so interesting 
my perception of you right off the bat, and I'm guessing others share this, is that you're very adventurous and have a lot of confidence to get out there and do things like travel to other countries. International travel is on its own already typically viewed as quite adventurous. But then hear other things like, oh, do you remember when we were on that trampoline in, in Iceland with those girls? That yes. kind of thing. Yeah. 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 They hear things like that. When you hear little snippets without a full story, I think even more so, you get an impression of someone being um, a certain way. A certain way. Yeah. But that did not develop in you until the, the most recent five years of your life. Yes. Yeah. So was at the point when you found yourself now in Europe, was yeah. it already pretty developed or did you have to stretch yourself quite a bit to do these kinds of things? I am always afraid, brother. I am hmm. fear is a very constant <clears throat> thing in my life. Uh, I'm a very emotional person. I feel things uh, a lot deeply. Um but fear, man, that's one of those things where it just never goes away. There's just always something that, for me anyway, that is present in one way or another. Uh, I have this really cool friend named Jesse. Uh, I had the opportunity to go to the Nürburgring in Germany, which people who know is a one of the oldest racetracks in Europe. It used to be a public road, but then it would get closed off for racing events huh. um, built by Nazi Germany um, to showcase the power of their cars, etc. Wow. Very cool place. Today it is used for supercar testing. When a manufacturer wants to test a, a new car, yeah. they go and test it there. Mm -hmm. And I had the chance to go there with Jesse. And... Jesse uh, has a really cool job that allows him to have cool experiences. And he said, hey, do you want to get on this race car with me around the Nürburgring? Uh, I said, dude, I can't afford it. And he goes, no worries, I got you. We ended up, next thing I know, I'm putting this tight helmet in my head, <laughs> getting strapped to with I couldn't move a centimeter forward. I mean, you are in there in the backseat of a BMW M3 uh, competition. Stripped out car. Recaro seats that just hug your torso. He's sitting in the front, and at the wheel is Moritz Krantz, as a race car driver, uh, like an endurance racing driver. Huh. Oh my gosh, man. I, <laughs> it's so cool. Such an awesome experience. And I'm so glad I did it. I'm so glad Jesse you know, offered. And this is so cool. But I was so scared before getting in there. Uh, recently, same guy invited me to go fly um, on this acrobatics airplane. I was so scared going up to, to the experience. For two weeks, I was terrified, terrified. Um, but I thought, I have to do this because the experience is worth the fear. I once watched a um, uh, Dude Perfect video okay. where they go... They call them bucket list uh, videos. It, each episode is about 30 minutes long. They go to a different place or do a different thing that they've all wanted to do together. And one of them, uh, I believe is one of the twins, he wants to jump off uh, the second tallest bungee 
in the world. Um, and you see him, he's freaking out. You, you see the camera and he's just like grabbing onto the edge of the rail just before he jumps, <sighs> takes a deep breath and you can see him and then he just does it, right? But he says this really cool quote. He goes, it's five seconds of fear or a lifetime of regret. He, he says, I chose the fear. Hmm. And in one way or another, I've adopted that for myself. I didn't know this quote before I went to Iceland, but I was terrified the first time I went to Iceland. I was so scared. Um, I think fear has been a really interesting constant with me. The reason being, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I, I wonder if it's a generational thing in, 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 in my family and both of our parents. My dad being a soccer player, very aggressive, you know, go getter, let's go. But that doesn't mean that there isn't fear in him, right? Because mm -hmm. there's always risk to everything that, that one tries. Uh, right now, I'm, you know, developing this app and, uh, you know, trying to start an NFT collection also. Two new experiences for me. There's so much that could go wrong. It, it could fail. Um, and there is things that creep up on me that, that make me scared of that failure, that make me scared of that setback. Um, but I choose the fear. I choose to, to face that fear and move forward with it. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, my mom, she's a very kind-hearted, very soft person. Uh, I think I'm much more like that in my character. But I've had to develop this uh, gusto for the adventure, for pushing my boundaries. Um, because the Raul that is on the other side of that boundary is a very exciting person. The Raul that I see on that side is a very, um, is a better man. And, uh, and I see that because as I've gained confidence, I've learned to relate to other people. And I've learned to be a, a more patient person. And I've learned to encourage people, which is one of my biggest hopes. I have a friend named Gabriel, and uh, he was incredible. In my middle school years, when I moved to the States, uh, he kind of adopted me, took me under his wing. He's three years older than me, I think, or two. Uh, but he was just the cool guy. He was just in church. He was just the best. And I'm so thankful that he took the time to, to press into, you know, um, the kid that I was then and to help me develop that. I'm thankful for the mentor I told you about, Andrew, that he was able to take the time to develop me further. I'm thankful for the people at Camp War Eagle who took the time to develop me further. I'm thankful for the people at uh, Lewis and Clark that took the time to develop me further. I'm thankful for the tribe, you know, friends like Zach Galley, like Devar, um, who, who, and so many others, you know, Joseph, um, Dylan, etc., and yourself, you know, people who have taken the time to help me be developed further. Um, because in that we grow. Um, and by growing, we can help other people. Um, and I love that aspect. And so thank you for saying that I seem like an adventurous person. I, I think I've become one who seeks adventure, uh -huh. who seeks those things 
that go beyond my personal boundaries, the current boundaries that I have now, but that doesn't mean that fear is absent. It is, it is present. It's, it's still there. <laughs> what, what is that fear centered on? What, oh, what is, oh man, you're opening. <laughs> yeah. Cause opening I wonder, door. like, cause I could think about, I can think pretty easily. What are the types of things that make me fearful? Um, and then I have to ask the question, what is it that I'm afraid of in that? Mm-hmm. And I think about situations like being invited to go on a, a stunt plane or, or the Nuremberg ring or different things like that thinking about it anyway right now sitting in my seat nice and safe i think wow that'd be i wish that would happen to me that'd be amazing i would love to try that i've thought for a while i remember the first time i ever got on a plane and i thought oh i love every time i can feel any kind of motion in the plane sure and i thought i wish i could be on a little tiny two-person plane and get to experience that it, it in my mind it seems awesome I didn't know that I wanted that to happen until it did. Now I'm like, oh, heck yeah. Yeah. This is so cool. It's still scary as heck, but but it's very cool. Yeah. Jesse's a fantastic pilot. Oh, cool. But yeah, so I guess I'll share a little bit of what fear looks like for me. Sure. Great. I want to listen. Yeah. Okay. Fear, the things that make me afraid are always social in nature. Talking to people. Uh, having to intentionally make friends or interact or interrupt someone else's day to interact with them. Those kinds of things have, over the years, created a great deal of fear in me. Um, It's something I've worked very hard to change because... I noticed it, that it was hindering me. And I was also just genuinely curious if my fears had any, um, if there was any real good reason to have them because a, a very, a pretty concrete one that I could point to and name what it was, was that people don't want to have a conversation in public with someone they don't already know. They don't want that interruption. The fear was they don't want that interruption. If I cause that interruption and try to interact, I am an intrusion in their day. I am wasting their time. um, And they're going to have a negative experience of me, which then reflects on who I am, and that feels like a rejection. So I thought, practically i have to actually test this to see if it's true and so i started more and more <laughs> like going to coffee shops going to coffee shops specifically which is why they're so special to me really mm-hmm. um going to coffee shops and talking to people in them just without any agenda beyond kind of exploring the sphere and what it looks like and then in addition to that getting to know people and just developing relationship talking to baristas because that's the lowest hanging fruit it's easy to talk to the person there who's making you drink i know maybe it's not easy but easier easier than going to somebody else who's sitting down doing (laughs) school and talking to them sure and i started doing that and i realized that people actually don't seem to mind at all i can't recall and it could be that i don't just i just don't hang on to the negative experiences very much but i can't recall 
trying this, interrupting someone in order to interact with them, and it being a negative experience. I don't remember yeah. any, anything. On the, the flip side of that, most people who are close to me know that I will go into any coffee shop in Northwest Arkansas and either run into somebody who I already know or start talking to somebody who I do not know, whether it's the barista or it is some stranger so there in the shop. So fear has helped you. Yes, it absolutely created the opportunity for me to rid myself of it. It's still there, sure. but the specific fears of certain specific scenarios are reduced or quieted, or I can examine them and think, that's ridiculous. That doesn't make sense. Why would I be afraid of that? <laughs> so that for me has, has been super helpful. There's certainly areas where I'm still very much afraid. Usually it comes to talking to women, honestly. Bro. Talking to women is, is the most frightening situation for me. For you. Yes, okay. that I don't know. Okay. Um, in certain contexts, I'm still very good at it. If, I, <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm working, I work as a barista. If I'm working. It's easy. It's easy because that's my space. Sure. I'm confident. You are protected by the bar in front of you. That and I'm protected by my image and the environment around me is very much in my control. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, at least subconsciously, I think that's going on. Mm -hmm. I know what I seem like. I seem like somebody who knows what he's doing. <laughs> and for the most part, I do. I'm not the most skilled barista at all. I'm good at talking to people generally. But when I'm, when I'm on that side of the bar, it's easier. Mm -hmm. I have other things that I can put my energy into as well. Um, on the other side of it, unprompted, it's very difficult for me to specifically spur conversation on with women. Mm -hmm. Specifically, if any part of my brain says, She's attractive. I'm attracted to her. Sure. <laughs> That immediately turns on the fear, the sure. fear engine sure. of all the things that could go wrong. And again, that that's a social thing. That to me, that's where fear comes into play. Um, and I'm sure if I did it more, it would become less, less terrifying, I think, because... You get used to pretty much everything. Exposure therapy is very helpful. When I'm, I'm, I'm pretty horrible around spiders. And okay, <laughs> when I moved to Arkansas, lots of them down here. There's more of <laughs> them everywhere. than where I'm from. And I <laughs> gradually, even without trying, gradually became less jumpy around spiders because I was around them more. When I went to Australia. <laughs> I wasn't necessarily, I, I didn't see them more, but I knew, prepared. I knew they were there. And so I, I, again, I felt like it started helping me not worry about spiders as much. And I'm better with them now. I had a friend actually challenge me and my, a couple of different friends, one of them intentionally, one of them unintentionally challenged me and how I interact with spiders. And now I'll even, I'll catch them and release them outside instead of killing them with like a spray can from, from a distance, from a distance yeah. which I do have that too, because <laughs> brown recluses are a common occurrence in this area. Uh -huh. 
uh, I have shaken them out from my shower curtain multiple times. Have you really? Yes. Huh. To this day, I now, before getting in the shower, always shake out my shower curtain. If I have a towel hanging up, I whip that and make sure there's nothing in it. Interesting. I've never yeah. had to, but, you know, yeah, you got to do it. <laughs> yeah, you got to do it. It's Arkansas. Yeah. So I, even today, before you came here, there was there was a just like a daddy long leg. Um, oh. on the on the wall over there that had been there a couple of days and I just ignored it and I caught it in a glass with a piece of paper and I brought it outside and I shook it out over the lawn that's it I've gotten yeah. better sure I've yeah. gotten better yeah yeah so talk to me about fear <laughs> what what is it fear what is it brother, like for you uh, it, or what kinds of things oh man the, the two biggest ones are certainly the fear of not being good enough and then uh, the fear of, of disappointing other people um so, tell you a story. When I first moved to the U.S., uh, started going to middle school, basically right away. Uh, <clears throat> there was an ESL program. That's what I was a part of. So, mostly all Hispanic kids and then a few Asians were in there. Um, in English Rock. second language. Correct. For English people who don't know. Language. Um, uh, I believe they call it something else nowadays, but back then it was called uh, English as a second language. Um and uh, I couldn't speak English. Um, I was learning. I was devoted to it. But then I saw her. Oh, she was beautiful. <laughs> uh, as American as could be, right? Just blonde, blue eyes, freckles, braces, the whole thing. Um, she was just 11, 12 years old. Something like that. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. She was same grade as me. Uh-huh. But just American, right? Yeah. Just... I was not a part of her world, and I so desperately wanted to be. Um, and I started stalking this girl. I didn't mean to, but that's just what I did. Um, I did that for seventh grade and eighth grade, and she knew who I was because uh, PE or something, somehow we had some class together or something. At the end of eighth grade, freaking this hulk of a guy, some football playing friend of hers, comes over to me. He goes, hey, stop following her. And to me, he's like seven feet tall (laughs) at at the time. Terrifying. Um, Yeah. just. And it clicked. I was like, hmm, maybe what I've been doing is is not good. Um, Fast forward. She went to a different junior high. I went to a different junior high. And then we came back for high school. <clears throat> First day of class, I'm looking at my schedule, looking for the classroom that I'm supposed to go to. Turn a corner. I see her. We make eye contact. She pulls her friend, another girl, close and says, let's run. And then takes off running <laughs> and pulls her with her. Now I'm looking at it. And I'm like, oh man, this is like not stri- straight, toward you, straight right. from no, totally towards me, and not oh. uh, away from me. Yeah, away right. from. Yeah, she, she ran, ran away from away. me, <laughs> um, straight from a movie scene, right? But it affected me. It rocked my world. Um, uh, it made me feel that I pushed people away. It made me feel that I, I'm not good enough for mm. for a woman for for girls. Um, and that's where that fear started, I think, uh, as far as back as I can remember. Growing up in Mexico, um, I won't get into it, but I, was, I didn't fit in either. Uh, so I didn't have any 
buddies. I had two buddies uh, when, when I was growing up in Mexico. Um, it was brief. It was not for very long. But, you know, I hung out with those kids. But, but uh, it wasn't like we were best friends. Um, I, I never felt like I quite fit in because I, oh, man, I'm such a dreamer. I have, I'm such a dreamer, and we can talk about that later. Um, but I think those dreams have always made me feel like I just don't fit in. But I'll talk some, about some of my dreams later on. But fast forward, uh, I f- high school, I felt like I pushed people away. I felt like I scare people away. And this already coupled with loneliness, you know, throughout my childhood and then middle school and... Uh, Aside from Gabriel, you know, and the kids from church, uh, but Gabriel really being the, uh, the the key person, I was I felt lonely a lot um, growing up, and all the way through high school, I started working at summer camp, and um, at summer camp, uh, I just couldn't take it anymore. I was like, I I'm such a loser, and I don't have any friends, and I can't make conversation. I remember feeling trapped. I remember feeling like. I knew how awkward I was and I couldn't escape it. I didn't know how to relate to people. And I went up to one of the guys and I said, hey, I need you to listen and that's it. And it's gonna get nasty. And yeah, sure enough, for 40 minutes, I just ranted to him. I was like, I am so lonely and I don't know what to do about it. <clears throat> and he prayed for me and he prayed for friends uh, and was, my freshman year of college when I hung out with the first person. It was a girl who was a cheerleader in high school, would have never talked to me in high school. Um, And we were classmates in college. And somehow I was having a conversation with this person. And I remember feeling normal for the first time in my life when I hung out with this girl. And I remember she was on her laptop one day and she goes, hey, Raul, come here. She invited me to sit with her, which was such an event for me. Um, but even through college, like this fear still continued, this sensation that, that, uh, that I wasn't good enough for, for friends, for people still carried through, but it started slowly changing. Um, and yeah, like you said, you know, it seems nowadays that it is a very... Um, easy thing for me like it's very natural for me I've got so much class and I've got so much uh, you know this and that posh personality whatever you want to call it just look at the watches you wear bro yeah Swiss watches yeah Italian shoes (laughs) sexy Spanish accents yeah (laughs) yeah what more could you want I Uh speak three languages yeah yeah my name is Raul but you can call me anytime you know (laughs) um (laughs) <laughs> things like that are easier now but mm. man this project has been going on since i was 19 yeah. you know that's when god started little by little just restoring that part of me mm. um and it wasn't honestly up until um i left for europe the first time that that part really started to to settle thankfully or not thankfully Yes, thankfully, I've had a lot of fun dating a few girls, uh, and they have been great people, great mm-hmm. experiences with them. Um, now I can see that 
dating is not where I want to be right now. And it won't be for the next couple of years. But it's easier for me to make a relationship with a girl. Regardless of whether I find her attractive or not, it's just easier. Because it is easier to talk to everybody. Because yeah. it is easier for me to see myself not as somebody who pushes people away. Not as somebody who who damages other people, who scares people away because my perspective about myself has changed because other people took the time to show me that that's not who I am. It's weird, man. So, you know, full circle, back to having an enemy. The enemy, Satan, you know, the devil loves to whisper lies and plants them in the hearts of people, in the hearts of men, uh, in the hearts of women, uh, people, uh, everyday lives there's always something that's just in there and it's a parasite and it eats away at everything you do. Um, and it, it, I don't know how it was for you having your fear, but my fear got to the point where it was crippling, where I remember thinking I'm not good enough for anyone. I never got, I've never, you know, thankfully had any suicidal thoughts, but I have had Thoughts where I'm like, I'm just going to stay in my room because I'm not good enough for anybody. Um, and this has been something that I've had to fight constantly. I'm wondering if my dad also had to do with it. Uh, growing up, I wasn't good at sports and he was a soccer player, a professional soccer player. Right. Yeah. So I'm, I always felt uh, to some degree still now, I feel like I'm not good enough for him. So that's where the fear of disappointment comes in. Uh I remember recently I was in Austin visiting my sister um, and I was like, hey, there's going to be this concert and and uh, uh, we're going to go do this and we're going to do that and we're going to go do these other things. And I planned a lot of the activities that we were going to do. And I remember one night it didn't go quite as great as we wanted it to go. And I was the one that orchestrated everything. And I remember just feeling so bad and I couldn't figure out why. And uh, my sister and I were in the car alone. And I just remember feeling so down. I was so quiet. And she goes, are you okay? And then I was like, I just feel like I've disappointed you. And when I said the word disappointing, I just started like uncontrollably sobbing. Um, because that's when I finally was able to identify something that has been bothering me for the past, oh, six months or something. Up to this point right now. Um, and I'm trying to, been praying a lot, but also been journaling a lot on how to combat this idea that I feel like I disappoint people often. Um, and man, it, it's it's real. It sneaks up and it, it it's really painful, this idea. Uh, and sometimes the narrative of our lives can really complement this, this uh, negative thought that we have. And then things that just happen in life kind of really reinforce this negative thing about ourselves but mm -hmm. that's not true it just happens to it seems that way um and so yeah those are my two biggest fears you know the, the feeling of not being good enough and then the feeling of, of disappointing other people um those are really hard things that they don't come up as often but they're still there what is do you have a tactic for going about facing these fears normally it takes a while it takes me like two days to get over it uh that sentiment it so i can't just turn it off right uh -huh. um, 
But yeah, generally, it's the uh, perspective that I'm so optimistic, man. And I just love life. And I'm such a happy person all the time. I'm like a freaking dolphin, uh, <laughs> you know. Um, I love it because I think people need that. I think people need mm -hmm. somebody who says, good morning, everyone. Today is going to be a fantastic day. This is your host, Raul Flores. We are going to have a fantastic time. Take my hand and I will take you there. I think we all need somebody who does that for us. Um, and I'm not always that person for everybody, but I do hope to be that way uh, because I think the world needs it. Um, and uh, the way that I approach it is, man, today was just a sucky day. Today was just crap. And I'm going to feel that crappy feeling for that day. And I always finish it with prayer, right? I'm always like, all right, God, today sucked for these reasons. I think it's important to list them out objectively, right? Why am I feeling the way that I'm feeling? What is it that happened throughout the day that triggered those sentiments? What is it that happened throughout the day that maybe related to something else that triggered the sentiment? What memories does this evoke, right? You know, maybe some past trauma or something that, that happened. Mm -hmm. I'll write it down and then I'll pray about it. I'll ask God to give me guidance through that. Because in the end, that's what he is. He's a comforter. Um, and uh, I'll just go to sleep, right? And I'll say, I'll start over tomorrow. So that's how I cope with, uh, with those lies. Sometimes it lasts a day, sometimes just a few minutes, sometimes it'll last a week. But the optimism and the fact that I, I know I can come back to Jesus and to friends, right? Because that's also important that I know that I have solid friends that I can talk about these things honestly with. Mm -hmm. uh, all of those things give me hope. If I didn't have friends, I know I still have Jesus. But if I didn't have Jesus, man, I don't know where I would be. I, yeah, it'd be really tough to not be able to talk to anyone about something. That, that would be the hardest thing, probably. Um, but no, thankfully, I have this. And that gives me hope. And so no matter how sucky a day has been, you know, my parents recently split. That's not fun. Um, yeah, uh, my computer recently wasn't able to use it for two weeks. <laughs> That's not cool when I'm trying to make progress on an app. Uh -huh. um, you know, time is everything. Time is money. Time is uh, progress. Time is development. And I couldn't use my computer. Um, that's annoying. That's not fun. But through that, I'm able to, to get grounded again and say, man, I have hope because tomorrow is a new day and, and it's going to be all right. So, yeah, that's how I deal with it. Mm, that's good. It sounds like you accept something or you, you recognize fear or negativity, whatever it may be. You recognize it, name it, accept it. Like, okay, this is, this is what today was. Today sucked. And then move on with a hopeful, optimistic attitude of, well, tomorrow is different or tomorrow can be different. And now move on. Yeah. I think it's important to know that, at least here in the US, Mexico, maybe not so much, um, in Europe, definitely possible. One can change something about their life. Maybe not everything. 
but you can change something. And that's easier to grab onto. It's easier to grab onto that, right? My situation might suck right now, but I take so much, which it doesn't, you know, thankfully. <laughs> it's great hanging yeah. out here with you. <laughs> yeah. But let's say you and I are both in a really terrible situation. Uh, it's easier to grab onto one thing that we can change. And we're going to change that for the better. Um, here in the U.S., we have the chance to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and by changing that one thing, maybe another thing will change. And then another thing will change. And then through those things, our situation can be better. Maybe not overnight, but but definitely it has the potential to, to be better. Um, that's a huge theme of mine, for sure. I love change. I know you like change also. Um, it's a good thing. I've always seen change as a good thing. Mm -hmm. I have not always seen it as a good thing. Really? But I have, in recent years, um, definitely made an effort to intentionally pursue it. So that, that what I related earlier about starting to face fears about talking to people, mm -hmm. that was me embracing a change. Mm -hmm. um, 2020 was a year for me of a lot of learning a lot about change mm -hmm. and accepting it and really coming to appreciate it mm -hmm. as a really beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. Recognizing the transience of so much, pretty much everything in life and enjoying it more for that reason. Um, I talked a lot about it with a few different people that I worked with when I was at Starbucks. So when I got back from Australia in early 2020, was was really fortunate to still be in the Starbucks system. So I was able to jump right back into working immediately. And that year was fraught with change, as pretty much everybody is well aware. Um, and it was beautiful for me. For me, I came to the end of 2020 and looked back at it and thought, this year was so good for me. I experienced so much change and so much hardship too. So many things that were very difficult and trying for me. But all of them, while I was in the midst of them and certainly coming out of them, I was able to look at as a really beneficial thing because growth came with it. And you cannot have growth without change. Mm -hmm. Change by definition, like something has to change for there to be growth. You, you could say that some things, um, there's uh, digression as well that Sometimes. comes from change. Yeah. Sometimes there is. But I think it's really important to recognize that, as you said, one can change something about life. Maybe not everything. Not everything. But you can choose, and you must choose, I think, to change things. If you choose not to, which is another option. You do what I did for most of my life and you sit in stagnation. And the world continues changing and life continues changing, but now it's chaotic, it's out of control, and you're just accepting everything, not in a, in a hopeful or optimistic sense, but just, this is just what it is and I can't do anything about it. That kind of attitude and it's really not enjoyable. No, no. no. And you, you, you miss out. I missed out 
I'll speak for myself. I missed out on so much opportunity to grow and better myself. And to this day, in many areas, I feel very behind in life and where I should be. And I recognize that it is because I did not work toward any kind of goals. Mm. I didn't see a good thing and say, I want to move in that direction, move toward that. What are some of your goals, Joel? I'll talk about that in a minute. I'm so excited yeah. to find out. <laughs> um, I just sat and I did nothing uh-huh. and I had no direction. And that contributed so much to the the negatives in my life that held me back and, and did so much harm. Certainly um, more influential ones being depression and anxiety. I had planned a suicide in 2016 and had pretty regular thoughts intermittently at different stages from that time forward. And a lot of it was just me saying, this is how I am and I can't do anything about it. And even when I come out of this depressive spiral, based on the pattern I've seen, I'm just gonna end up back here Mm. again. And that was me looking at a problem and accepting it, not in a sense of accepting, this is how it is, now let's figure out how we can make it better, but just saying, this is how it is, I guess I have to live with it. Sure, I'm just attaching it to yourself. Yeah, I identified with Uh it. That was a problem, (laughs) this is a big problem. Sure. Um, Yeah, stagnant is one of my, it's probably my favorite word to describe the worst place that I can be in. Oh, brother. Because now I think a lot of it is just because of my history. So stagnation to me brings to mind the previous part of my life that was spent in in uh, um, doing nothing, going nowhere, and feeling no progress. And so it's a very fresh memory. And I... I have a vantage point now that allows me to see how much it held me back. You asked my goals, right? Yes. If you want to share. I, I don't I'm have so a curious. lot of very specific can goals. I, can, I, can I say something while you're thinking, while you're collecting them? Yeah. So one of my favorite things to ask, just people in general, uh-huh. is, but particularly girls that show interest or I might be interested in, is like, hey, so what's the dream? That's the question that I ask. And I've come to realize not everybody has dreams, uh, or at least not as grand as mine. And mm. yeah, I found out that it kind of turns off uh, some people. They're like, well, what do you mean? Yeah. And I think it's really funny. So I've learned to back away from that question. But uh, but yeah, I'm really curious about huh. what you're going to say. I'm going to start asking people that because that's a great question. I love it. What's the dream? Yeah, it's so, much so, easier. So what's it, the dream? For one thing, it'd be much easier for me to say, here are dreams that I have than to say here are goals because I think there's a difference there. <clears throat> dreams, I agree. I have dreams all the time. Sure. I'm an Enneagram for, for those who are into that kind of thing. And that means if to use other language, I'm an idealist, I'm a romantic, I'm a dreamer mm. very much mm. to a fault at times okay. because I let myself get caught up in these fantasies rather than living in reality. And that can be a problem. Um, <laughs> Dreams, I'm a photographer. I would love to 
be in a position where I can make the kinds of photos that I love and people actually want them. Um, I love portraiture. I love taking photos of people. I love being able to take a photo of somebody and then show it to them and they think, wow, I look great. That's such a cool thing. Or to do a shoot with someone and um, work on it and show them the images and they say something like, I don't normally like to take photos. I don't like having photos taken of me. And I was really nervous about that, but it was a lot of fun. You made me enjoy that experience. I've had a friend tell me that and it made me so happy to hear her say that. Um, hi, Nadia. I'll, if I remember, I'll send this episode to you. Um, that's such a beautiful thing to be able to do for someone. I love that. I love people and community and areas where those things are encouraged. That's part of the reason I love cafes. I love a spot where everyone knows they can go and there's going to be other people there and maybe they'll talk to them, maybe they won't, and they can not be alone. I love that. Um, the idea of combining a studio, a shared creative studio space with a cafe is something I'm very attracted to. I'm not a businessman and I would have no idea how to go about making that re a reality, but that's a dream. Um, in all honesty, the, the, the greatest dream for me is just to be married and have a good family and to raise a family that knows that they're loved and struggles with things different than what I struggled with. Because I know my children, if I have children, they're going to have issues with me, with the world, they're gonna have scars. The best I can hope for is that they're different than the ones I have. Um, that requires me being aware of yeah. what mine are. Yeah, and That's my greatest aspiration, just to be a phenomenal husband and father someday i mean you're already a phenomenal guy so hey thank you halfway there <laughs> i don't know if halfway is a proper estimation of that <laughs> scenario but <laughs> uh yeah more realistic goals realistic is Re not the right word i no. feel like more maybe attainable. shorter term attainable uh -huh. attainable goals uh -huh. would be to to have at least one paid photo shoot a month. Nice. And that could That's be, a good goal. Yeah. That yeah. could be a very practical portrait shoot, a wedding, a product shoot, something. One a month. That would be wonderful. Mm -hmm. uh, I do think that's an attainable goal. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to go about it. But Get the that's, word a, out. that's a goal. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. What about you, Raul? Oh, What's brother. the dream? Man, I love so many things. Um, when I was 13, I started watching BET, Black Entertainment Television. I would watch rap videos all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> and I remember there was a song called Diamonds in My Necklace. And it was this rapper rapping about diamonds on his necklace. And he had this really heavy, thick-looking chain with just giant diamonds on it. And he was driving this red Lamborghini Murcielago down um, 
Miami Beach with the doors open. And I remember being like, that's what I want. That's the dream. Uh, thankfully, the dream has changed. <laughs> um, yeah. Many people at your age still have that dream. You know, I, I've changed. <laughs> I've discovered there's more. And now the biggest dream is helping people. Uh, I want to help people at a large scale. I've always thought about huge scale. Uh, I still would love to be uh, a media artist of some sort. You know, I discovered rap is not the thing that I want to do um, just because of the stigma that's attached to rap. Also, anybody can rap. Surprisingly, most people will say, no, no, no. Like, no, you, you, you don't understand. I'm like, no, no, no. I understand. If Madonna can rap, anybody can rap. It, it's, it, it's, rapping is easy. Rapping well is difficult for sure. But music, I do want to do music in some way or another. Man, there have been times where I wake up in the middle of the night, just out of nowhere. Melodies are stuck in my head and I'll find some way to, to, to get them out or, or lyrics. And I'll just get on my phone recording and I'll record them. Music is such a part of me. Um, I would love to be a DJ, therefore. Um, one day, I would like to be a DJ. Um, I'm sure Thomas Smith talked about it at some point. Um, I think, it again, it, like sports, it connects people, it attracts people, but you have so much influence over people when they know your song, when they know what you do. So if I can make music that encourages people, that, that elevates the state of people, that's a good thing. I'll have helped somebody. Same thing with movies. Uh, I would love to, to write the script for movies. I have two ideas for two books. I worked on them when I was in Liechtenstein. I haven't worked on them recently, uh, but I would like to publish both of them because I think they have good stories. One of them takes place in 2095, so 75 years from now. And then the other one takes place in a fantastical utopia where a girl is a hero. She's a heroine, but she doesn't know it. And people in her life try to stifle her from becoming a heroine because they know that she is. But eventually through fate, you know, she comes to her full potential. Um, uh, I think it's really exciting. Um, adventure stories like that. Stories are very important to me. So yeah, music in one way or another, and then through through film, I think would be really awesome uh, to come to a large scale. Another dream, I would love to be friends with celebrities, people like Zed, uh, who is the the producer who has made songs like Clarity, um, or uh, in the middle. Or, oh, what's his most recent one? I, why can't I remember? Um, so far, I haven't recognized any of okay. these things. Baby, why don't you just meet me in the middle? Okay, don't yeah, yeah. So why don't you just meet me in the middle? middle? Gosh, dude. Okay, uh, yeah, I So much that. fun. I would love to be friends with him. He just looks like such a cool guy. Um don't think he knows the Lord. I think it'd be great to, you know, share with him. I just think the guy's cool, you know. Mm -hmm. I really would love to be friends with him. Would love to be friends with, uh, uh, <clears throat> oh gosh, Chris Christian Bale. Batman. Yeah. I would love really? to be friends with him. I would, If I have the chance to, I would love to be an actor. I would love to be an A-lister. 
Uh, so I'm not going to do it, but I have been practicing my British accent uh, <laughs> just because I think that versatility is so good. Um, but yeah, I would love to be an actor, uh, like mm -hmm. an A-list actor, or at least appear in a, in a big time movie because I think that experience would be so much fun. I fantasize um, about that. Bro. Again, going back to change, what, what says that it is possible? Unlikely, yes, but possible. I think it's possible. Um, I grew up in Mexico, very poor state for the people. I, I'm currently working on an app that aims to help people with ADHD to focus while reading. Um, and I'm creating an NFT collection to help fund this app. But low-key, this app endeavor is kind of the beginning for me to get into finance because there's people in a lot of poor countries that their finances are terrible because they don't know how to use money and they don't know how money works. Um, and honestly, that's part of the reason that those countries are, those countries are so broken. Not all the reason, but it's part of the reason. I think if those people had better education about how to use money, um, the country would be much better off. People would be much better off. The state of people in these places would be much better off. So I would love to somehow educate people in places like Mexico with finances, agriculture. I would love to establish a school in Mexico that teaches more efficient, better ways of doing agriculture. Um, and I would love to establish uh, um, public libraries all over Mexico so that people can come and hear story time. I didn't know what story time was growing up because you don't see that. You only see it in movies, uh, the library, the New York Public Library. You know that's a thing when you're growing up in Mexico. You know that's a thing. You know that exists, but it's worlds away. What if I could take that to those small towns where I used to live? What if I could hire people to read story time to people? That's another dream of mine for sure. But more attainable goals uh, for this app to be successful and to to help people who struggle to read um i would like for this nft project to make me what i'm aiming for it to make it won't be much but it'll help me get everything else going that's a much more attainable goal um a dream of mine a dream of mine is to buy um real estate a couple duplexes so that i can have some steady income from it so that i can help my dad who is currently in mexico um financially um i think helping him financially would be a good thing he doesn't have a good job currently down there he's no longer a pastor um but i think it would be good to be able to help him financially um yeah those are more attainable dreams more shorter term dreams that i can think of right now uh i guess much like you ultimate be to be a good man to to be like jesus in in marriage with kids, with friendships, mm. you know? Um, Jesus is amazing to me because we all know that the world is broken and God chose to show us that he's not distant from that, that he's not ignoring how broken the world is. Instead, he became man and came and lived in this broken world and not only lived in it in a position of privilege, but he went down to the lepers to the prostitutes, to the people who were unclean, to the people who were dead, and he healed and 
aided their situation. That is my role model. Um, I think that's going to be an ongoing pursuit. Um, but yeah, those are my dreams for sure. Man, time flies by. I know. Making timestamp notes. No, great. Yeah. This is good. Yeah. Now, two hours is usually where we start winding down this. We can keep going. Was there, I feel like you mentioned a couple of different things that oh, you wanted bro, to come back on. We can talk about on. anything you want, See, for that, sure. That's the thing. I could continue talking, of course. Sure. We can no, continue talking. No, but I think talking. it's wise. I think it's wise, too. Just, people don't need to know that much about me. If you would like to know, <laughs> if you would like to know more, please contact 888 <laughs> That is. Is that an international no, number? No, I don't know. I just made it up. <laughs> I think you, you, you made, you went a little long. Yeah, no, I did for <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, I did it on purpose so that nobody actually tries to dial that yeah. number and they end up calling, you know, yeah. somebody in Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> there is more, there is more to know. Yeah. I wound up, oh, not Iowa. I was going to no. I wound up on a bus in Tasmania with a guy from... You went to Tasmania? From... I didn't know that. Ohio. No. <laughs> Idaho? No, it was Iowa. Iowa. <laughs> Iowa, right? Yeah. Ohio is closer. Iowa is closer to Illinois. Iowa is? Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. right south of Illinois. I think that's Ohio. No, I think Ohio, I... Illinois, Indiana, Ohio. Really? Uh -huh. That is? Iowa is west, right? <laughs> Iowa, Iowa is south of uh, southwest, Illinois. though, right? Of Illinois, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's what I'm thinking of. Okay. <laughs> he, he, he was from Iowa. Okay. Yeah, okay. He, he, was, he was from Iowa, and we were the only two people on the bus other than two bus drivers. No way. Yeah. So was, just the two fun. of you. Hey, where are you from? <laughs> <laughs> it was that that day and the surrounding two days two or three days was a highlight of my time over there that's cool we can talk about it another time though man yeah traveling is fun man yeah Scary. i'm gonna i'm gonna do a little bit more of it soon i'll be i'll be taking a retreat with six other guys to the oregon coast heck yeah um rugged Bikini. <laughs> i don't think it's gonna be too rugged but it will be chilly chilly and wet chilly and wet yeah sounds like a just a band name. Good old time, yeah. <laughs> band name. <laughs> uh, okay, but every episode does end on a couple of the same things. questions. Bring yeah. it on, rapid fire. Yeah, I've never been hot seated before. So. Not rapid fire. I'm, oh. I thought of oh. maybe introducing oh. this as a segment, though. <clears throat> Excellent. But uh, no, each episode ends with the guest giving uh, a recommendation, mm. which can be anything, mm. and then telling a funny story or a joke or something because I like to end with laughter. So first, a recommendation. It can be can be anything. What would you like me to recommend? No, it's you. It's your recommendation. It's whatever is on your mind that you Be think. grateful. Be grateful. Be grateful. Have gratitude at the forefront of everything. Because when one is grateful, it forces you to look outside of you. Forces you to look outside of your situation. Forces me to look outside of my situation. There is... John Mayer has this cool video that he made he's playing his guitar and he goes 
There's the way it is. And there's the way it seems. And sometimes the way it seems is not the way it is. <laughs> so have a friend and ask them, how is it? And then they're going to tell you, it's all right. It's all right. And then he ends with a strum of his guitar. That's it's great. so cool. Is this from a song or this is a No, video? no, it's just this some TikTok he that did. he made. Um, okay. And I think that's lovely. Um, when I was working with that family in Germany with the four donkeys, uh, I was staying in this old chicken coop that they refurbished to be the place where I lived. Uh -huh. No heating whatsoever. The walls were so tiny. Had this like little wooden stove and that's how it would get heated. So in the mornings I'll wake up and be freezing cold, but uh, I loved it. I, I really enjoyed it that time. And there was this blank wall on that little chicken coop. And uh, she said, hey, we're going to start. Everybody who gets to live with us is going to start putting things on the wall. And uh, she goes, you're going to be the first one. What do you want it to say? And I thought about it, yeah, for about a week. And that's really what it comes down to. I think, you know, be grateful. Hey, I'm slipping in a che chicken coop. Could be worse. I'm grateful. You know, mm -hmm. uh, hey, I'm scooping up donkey crap. Could be worse. I'm grateful. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my parents split. Could be worse. I'm grateful. Um, I can't afford to go to a coffee shop. It's okay. I'm grateful. Um, there, there's, there's more to that for sure. That's yeah. a recommendation. Mm -hmm. Okay, how, how are we gonna get the laughter rolling? Do you have a? F I'm sure you can think of a Bro, funny I can story. So many funny stories. <laughs> oh my gosh, uh, it's funny because when one gets put in the spotlight, it's like yeah, everybody has trouble uh, thinking uh, of one when I when I, uh, uh, when I ask this question. Uh, so let's go. Let's go for the jokes. What do you call a bear with no teeth? A gummy bear. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of I like that, <laughs> but I do kind of want to hear a funny story. I love I, feel like I love that joke. I feel like that's the way that it that, that's what this part of the show became. About, is that yeah, everybody yeah, tells a funny story. story. Funny story. I'm gonna tell a joke though as well. Bring I, it on. I really like this one. I'm not gonna laugh probably because. I'll, but now I'll, you know it's a joke. I'll probably no. I'll probably have heard it though. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> you, you've seen geese flying. You know they'll fly south the winter or whatever something like that and it's always like a v pattern but yes. one side's shorter than the other one yes do you know why it's shorter why is it shorter because there's less geese on that side oh that's like nature <laughs> facts yeah so that sounds like no you, but you but the, it's funny because you think i'm going to explain to you why there's less geese on that side well that's my issue i'm so literal like when you tell me a joke like that i'm just going to analyze it and be like <laughs> hmm it's not it's not i'm not an analytical person I'm a literal person. So when people tell me jokes like that, I, I normally just, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like, there's less keys on the other side. Okay. Just, I'm sorry. That, no, no, I, no. That was funny. No sure, apologies on this I'm sure podcast. somebody's going to think it's funny. Yeah. You know, why don't you see elephants hiding in trees? Because they can't climb trees. They're really good at it. That's why you don't see them. Oh, Because oh, they're right. really good at it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I tell that geese one to people usually, and I have trouble getting through it without starting to laugh first. Oh, so I kind I'm of sorry, it, but yeah. but some people, some people. So what do you call like what it. do you call a cute door? Adorable, adorable. Okay, there you go. Yeah, so that's okay. a few more for your armoire. Yeah. <laughs> um, funny story, oh, man. I can't think of really anything. 
funny story. Uh, oh, great. This is my go-to. I love it. Okay. Coffee shop story. Okay. I'm working at the coffee shop that I used to work at. I meet lots of girls. You meet lots of pretty girls that walk into this coffee shop. And yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but it, like you said, it's easy to just be like, that's it. You know, I'm never going to see this person again. Or I might. But it doesn't matter. Um, there was this one girl. Man, beautiful, tall, strong, dark hair, light blue eyes. Just beautiful. I'm like, wow. Man, this girl's pretty. Comes again later on. Who? comes often all right this is good she's always sweet always smiling when she sees me found out she goes to a uh, taekwondo gym no brazilian jiu-jitsu gym oh wow okay and i've always wanted to try that because i'm not an aggressive type so i was like man this would be something fun to try something new to try you know again pushing my boundaries Mm -hmm. and now i have this beautiful incentive to try to go to to this uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu class. Well, here we are. Uh, I ask her, hey, so, you know, I, I see that you go. She goes, oh, yeah, I go to this gym. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you should really try it out. I get there, and I'm like, man, I'm skinny. I'm not very strong. I'm not aggressive at all. And thankfully, the first day that I'm there, she's not there. But I'm like, great. By the time she we bump into each other, I'm going to be so developed. I'm going to be so strong. And, uh you know, yeah, it'll it'll be good. You know, eventually, mm-hmm. I get there, and the teachers like, you know, you you do. Have you ever done anything like this? No. Okay, great. Not, so you no. you you one, they they start you out with a with your stretches, right? You do this warm up, so you end up doing like somersaults, and you end up rolling, and you end up like doing push ups and stretches and jumps and things like that to warm you up. Uh-huh. And then they teach you a move, and then you practice that move. You roll with other people. At the end of the class, you end up rolling. Well. I'm new. I'm just telling people, hey, I'm new. They're like, okay, no worries. But they still want to hurt you, no matter what you tell them. (laughs) And so here I am, and I wrestle with the first guy, practicing this move a few times. Okay, great. Thankfully, he was a little bit more my size. And uh, he was quick and fast, but he was a good teacher, right? He took it easy on me. Great. I'm thankful. Then they're like, switch partners. And then I switch. This guy looks like freaking Snorlax. And he just (laughs) ends up (laughs) flattening me. And I'm, he's on top of me. <laughs> and in those moves, I realized something happened. I heard something pop. But I was like, nah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. <sighs> Great. Go home. Feeling kind of defeated, but, but not really, right? I mean, there's nothing I could do against somebody who's like 230 pounds. No worries. <laughs> um, go back the next day. I'm determined to impress this girl. I get there. Different people, different moves that they're teaching us. This next guy that I'm wrestling with. Same place where I heard the pop the day before, even worse. And I was like, oh, man, this really hurts. But no matter, I'll just take a three-day break. You only have a seven-day, like, freebie pass, right? I go back a third time that week, and this last guy that I ended up wrestling with freaking flips me over a shoulder, land flat on my back. That's it. I'm out. And I, my ribs were bruised for, like, six weeks. And I never went back to that gym. And I was like, well, I guess it's just not meant to be. Yeah, this this girl is just not this is not within my reach. Yeah, it's just not going to happen. Because I, I couldn't wrestle. I couldn't move. I couldn't uh, couldn't fight. It, it was like tough to roll out of bed. Laughing was so hard. Yeah, it's just I got injured the first week. I tried to go so that I could impress this girl. And mm. uh, I got injured on the first day that I went. And so it just wasn't meant to be. 
I don't know where she is. I haven't seen her again. You didn't see her again after you I, tried to. I didn't see her again. Yeah. So. Wow. Maybe was she was a, an angel sent from God to get you to she, get outside of your comfort like, zone. She looked like an angel. She really did. <laughs> like a strong, freaking fit angel. Do yeah. you remember what her name was? Sophia. Sophia. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Hi, Sophia. Hello, Sophia. She'll be listening at some point. Yes. This is when this yeah. is a big but show. But I still want to go back to uh, Brazil and jiu-jitsu, though. Yeah. Uh, I really would like to try it sometime. It's I do. Ha- I have a friend who is a jiu-jitsu instructor. Really? He's very good. Yeah. Yeah. It's not Brazilian. It's just jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah in Brazilian jiu-jitsu is more like grappling and holding the other person and then bringing them down. Yeah. So uh, I learned two moves. In those three days that I was there. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't in vain. Yeah. So you could take me down. Yeah, uh, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. For those of you listening, Joel is quite strong. The first day I met him, uh, it was in a frigid 11 degree Fahrenheit weather. So what is that, like negative 10 Celsius? Was or it something? that cold? It was cold. It was really cold. Okay, um, I'll take your word for it. It was early in the morning. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was uh-huh. early. Uh-huh. It was before church. Sure. Uh-huh. It was cold. And so... Maybe it was after uh, I didn't know Joel. Uh, we were doing this walk to raise awareness for um, oh something I don't remember yeah, what it I was. Yeah. It was. But a few of us decided to go shirtless because why not, right? It's 11 degree weather. Put on our beanie, gloves, shoes. Make the then, news. Uh, correct. Yeah. But then shorts. That's it. Exposed yeah. legs. Exposed torso. Arms. And it was just myself and a friend. And Joel saw us. And Joel, being Joel, he was like, "Hey." I'll join you guys. And so he took <laughs> off his ja- his shirt and his jacket and we just started walking. And we became good buds that day. But I, I didn't see you until I came back from Europe. Yeah. Yeah. And then you brought up that photo mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. said, hey, are you this, this is guy? You. Are you? <laughs> yeah. But which, by the way, uh, he is shredded underneath that T-shirt. Was. Is. Yeah. He can still do pistol squats. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what it's called. Yeah. I feel like that's a good note to end on. That is a good note to end on. morning everyone today is going to be a fantastic day this is your host raul flores we are going to have a fantastic time take my hand and i will take you there funny story yeah uh, it doesn't even really matter oh my goodness. tell me what watch you're wearing because we'll come back to watches, but tell me about I'm that. I'm sure specific we will. One. Uh, this particular watch is a Zodiac uh, Desert Falcon, which I've never heard of before. Oh, but Desert Falcon—that's that's the name of the that one. watch of the model, right? But the brand is called Zodiac, which I have which never I... heard of before. Really? Okay. Yeah, it's a Swiss-made yeah. watch, uh, but this is a quartz movement, which I'm not a fan of, but. Now that I've discovered, so, okay, funny story. Here we go. Yeah. Recently, Davar came home. He goes, hey, my brother-in-law, Tyler, 
he has his friend from Austin staying with him. This guy has a few watches that they suggested we should come check out. Would you like to come? I said, of course, yes, I am always down to try. You know, seeing these things that are just exotic and that I'm very interested in. Yeah. So the time comes and we go to his house and we see this guy, very dapper gentleman. He's eating his Chinese food, you know. We're hanging out. He's getting to know us. Very. Uh, he seems very extroverted. Uh, maybe he's just very interested. Um, and you know, he leaves all of a sudden. He finishes his food and then comes back. He's carrying two watches in his hands. One of them is an Audemars Piguet. Um, yeah, exactly. What was it? Uh, an Audemars Piguet AP. Okay, I'm Royal not familiar Oak. with that one. Oh, brother, that's. The, the, probably the most hyped brand right now. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and then a Rolex um, OP, Oyster Perpetual. Mm-hmm. Um, and the VAR and I are just <laughs> out. It was great. We talked for about two hours, just about, not those two watches specifically. Uh, we talked about just watches in general uh-huh. and how we got into them, etc. Um but these two timepieces, the OP, the Rolex uh, Oyster Perpetual, which mm-hmm. is, for want of a better word, one of their more entry-level models, it still retails for $5,700, the OP. No date, just time. That's uh-huh. it. Um, and then the AP, the Audemars, that one, he said he got it for about $5,000, which is wrong because... That watch retails right now for about thirty to thirty-five thousand dollars, and it back then probably still cost about eleven thousand dollars when he bought it. But he got a super deal for you know five thousand dollars or something, which is nuts. But yeah. anyway, both of these watches are automatic. Mm-hmm. The movement is not exposed in them, but so long as you're wearing them, they'll keep wound, and so. Once I discovered the utility of that, I'm like, man, I really want a sports watch, a tool watch that is automatic. Uh-huh. You can just keep it going for forever. I think that is quite clever. 